Just Thinking is now available on the Family Radio app. If you're not familiar with Family Radio, you're in for a treat. Family Radio is a different kind of radio station. We are passionate about the Word of God. If you like the Just Thinking podcast, you'll love our bold biblical teachers like John MacArthur, Alistair Begg, and many more. Our stories of hope testify to the power of Christ to change lives. And our music will help you worship God throughout the day. Classic hymns, new hymns, and worship rich in theology. We are honored to add Just Thinking to the Family Radio app. Find out more at familyradio.org or download the Family Radio app from your favorite app store. Family Radio and Just Thinking, coming together to keep you thinking from a gospel point of view. Make your plans now to join us for the G3 National Conference, September 30th through October 2nd as we'll gather for Christian fellowship and the worship of God through song and the preached word. Our theme for the 2021 conference will be centered on biblical Christology. You can find registration details at g3men.org. Get 15% off by mentioning code G3JT. That's G3JT. Hello and welcome. Welcome Welcome to Just Thinking Podcast. It is another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's your no good, Omar? <laughs> good stuff, man. Good stuff. Bro. What's going on, Pastor? What? what? <laughs> always catch me off guard with that, man. I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna do you like you do me, man. I'm not gonna come back with the bishop. I'm gonna leave that alone this time around. I'm gonna leave, <laughs> I'm gonna leave that alone this time around. You know, I we ha- we have to grow we ha- we're gonna have to either do one of two things, bro. We're gonna either have to grow our black church experienced audience, or we're gonna have to start explaining to some our some of our reformed cats when we throw these titles around what they actually mean. Because you and I this I know, is kind right? of an ins- this is an inside joke for us, right? It is. It really is, man. These reform, these reform cats have no idea. No, no. 
it's like we had it's like we had to explain the only reason we explained what the Hammond B three was was for those cats. I know, man. Because they got no clue. No, I know. They have no idea. Of I know, I know. <laughs> but we're, but we're bringing everybody along. They're coming along for the ride, man. We're glad that you are here with us. It's good to be back, man. Uh, spring has sprung. Uh, it's great weather here in Omaha, Nebraska. This will be my last spring here, man. I'm headed uh, straight That's away right, to uh, to Georgia, man. To your your stomping grounds, man. I'm following everywhere I go. I'm following behind you, man. What's up with that? Yeah, you following behind me, man. But don't follow me to Southern California, bro. You don't want to come here. <laughs> you say that's that's where that's where you should draw real, the line, huh? That's where you should draw the line. I'm just, huh? I'm, I'm just keeping it real, man. Stop stop in Arizona and just hold up. Just hold up. I got you. I got hold you. Up, hold up in Arizona, bro. I got you. Well, man, it is it is good to be back with you behind these microphones, man, with another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. We got a lot of things that are happening. Uh, I want to start, man, with our scholarship. We are in partnership right now with the Masters University. And uh, man, they have they have done a just an exciting thing where we've partnered with them to offer the Just Thinking uh, Podcast Scholarship or the Just Thinking Scholarship. Uh, they have come alongside us and have agreed to give us this year five ten thousand dollar scholarships uh, for anyone who's interested in attending Masters University. And so I, I know you're going to want to speak to this a little bit because these are your this is your backyard. But man, we we're just grateful for the partnership. Those who want to apply uh, need to go to justthinking.me forward slash scholarship for more information. The deadline to get uh, to, to apply is actually April 30th. So you want to jump in. There's an essay. There's some information. But if you're interested in that at all, uh, you want to go to justthinking.me forward slash scholarship uh, to, to learn more about the scholarship. Anything you want to add to that, bro? Yeah, just real quick, Omaha. Shout out to Dr. Mitch Hopewell, our guy, mm-hmm. provost at the Masters University for helping pull this all together. So, yeah, the deadline, as Virgil said, is April 30th, 2021. Scholarship supply for the fall academic 2021 year. Uh, as, as Omaha said, five $10,000 scholarships. So go to justthinking.me forward slash scholarship to check that out. You can also go to masters.edu slash just thinking masters.edu slash just thinking to learn more about the just thinking scholarship. Take it, bro. Absolutely. And and uh, I wanted to tee up one more thing, man. This is something that you and I have been working on. I don't even know how long we've been working on this, man. It's been a long time coming. It's uh, been several months, man. Several yeah, months. Yeah. I know people have asked us time and time again, hey, when are you, when are you guys going to write a book? When, when are you guys going to put yep. something together and uh, something we can get our hands on? The, the podcasts are so rich. They're so packed. They're so dense. And I would love to have something in my hand that I could kind of open up, unpack and walk through. Uh, well, it was months ago, I want to say August, when we announced our partnership with Founders Ministry and, and Founders Press, they had agreed to, to work with us on a trilogy of books. And so I, I could not be more excited uh, to announce uh, the pre-order for the book actually launches on Wednesday. And so uh, if you're hearing this, it's, it, it, it's Wednesday, uh, 
April. What's April's date? April 14th? April 14th. April 14th. Yep. April 14th, if 2021. If you're listening to this, it's April 14th. Uh, you definitely want to get on justthinking.me forward slash the state. Justthinking.me forward slash the state and order this book, pre-order this book. I, I, I'm hoping we get so many pre-orders that the Founders Press has to go back and look and say, oh my gosh, we never anticipated that kind of uh, that kind of a, uh, a response. And we're going to have to really, uh, really kind of step up our game. I, I want to tee this up just briefly. And then, bro, I, I want to turn it over to you because I know you got more to say uh, about this. I want to explain a little bit about- Yeah, do your thing. I want to explain a little bit about the book that we put together, The State. Now, this book, it takes direct aim at what is the foundational- power structure of woke culture, namely the state. Now, as, as the culture seeks to replace God with government, our, this book, Just Thinking About the State, it will equip you to understand their cultural playbook, right? While at the same time pointing you to what scripture has to say about the biblical role of the state, in terms of governance. This is critically important. This book is a must have for understanding what we as Christians and as the church are about to encounter in the culture and how to respond biblically to that cultural onslaught that we're seeing right now over and over and over again. These are things that we want you to know about this book. This is a must have. This is something you'll want in your library. You'll want in your hip pocket so that you can, as you're watching things unfold, with this new administration and with this 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 surge by culture that that is deciding to replace uh, government with God, what they're doing, you'll want to have this man. Anything you want to add as we tee this thing up, bro? Yeah, man. You know, leading up to this announcement, man, you and I we we're about to burst uh, <laughs> because we had to wait to tell our listeners on this episode about the pre-order being available for them to pre-order just thinking about the state. And as you mentioned uh, earlier, Omaha, this is a trilogy. I'll say this is first in a trilogy. This is the first in a trilogy of books that we've partnered with uh, Founders Publishing, Founders Press, rather, Founders Press, Tom Askall's uh, ministry there, Founders, and uh, Founders Press is an arm of his Founders Ministry. Uh, So this is the first in a trilogy of books. So just thinking about the state, is the first of the three. The second in that uh, series will be just thinking about ethnicity. And then the third will be just thinking about the church. So this is the first in a trilogy. Pre-orders available April 14th, 2021. You can go to justthinking.me forward slash the state. Justthinking.me forward slash the state. And pre-order your copy today. Yeah of just thinking about the state trust me there will you you, there is nothing on the market right now like what you're going to get from this book absolutely omaha take it absolutely just just so that you know that there's a pre-sale special price 13 dollars. you'll want to get it in advance uh it'll go up they they anticipate uh, the pre-sale date ending right when the ship date uh, is available. So we're anticipating a a, a, a book published uh, r- around August 31st of this year. So we want you to be aware of it. We want our listeners, if you're listening to this podcast, to be some of the first to take advantage of that special pre-sale price. Uh, tell somebody about it. Man, we definitely want to blow this out. We want this to be Founder Founders Press's best 
uh, book yet. Yes. And so we, we definitely yes, want definitely. them to, to feel, uh, feel our audience to know the impact of, of what you guys have, have come alongside us, uh, to help us do and accomplish. So definitely want you to be a part of it. Just thinking.me forward slash the state. Now, finally, man, we, we do, you're doing some traveling here soon, man. What do you got on the horizon, bro? Yeah, so on the immediate horizon for me, if you're going to be anywhere in the area of Denton, Texas, Denton, Texas, around the middle of June, June 11th and 12th to be exact, please join us. Please join us at Denton Bible Church for the Wokeness and the Gospel Conference, okay? June 11th and 12th, 2021, Wokeness and the Gospel Conference at Denton Bible Church in Denton, Texas. If you're going to be anywhere in that area, I encourage you to come out and attend this conference. It's going to be amazing. In addition to myself, uh, there will be Dr. Owen Strayan speaking, Pastor Tommy Nelson, Dr. Tom Buck is going to be speaking, as well as Pastor Rodney Brown and Pastor Charles Stolfus. We're going to be talking about how wokeness is more than just a slang term. It is a legitimate threat to the church to the gospel. Now, when I say threat, I don't say threat in the sense that the gospel will ever be defeated. Okay. Mm -hmm. We understand that that's not the case. But when we talk about uh, wokeness and all that that entails being a threat to the gospel, what we're really talking about is just trying to make the body of Christ aware of what those threats look like and how they're coming at the church so that you can be able to identify them and be able to respond intelligently and also biblically. So if you're going to be in the area again of Denton, Texas, June 11th and 12th, check out the Wokeness and the Gospel Conference. You can go to Wokeness and Gospel. That's Wokeness and the word and is spelled out. Wokenessandgospel.org. Wokenessandgospel.org to register for the Wokeness and the Gospel Conference. Awesome, man. Can't wait to see you there, see what you're going to do and, and the other speakers. That's going to be absolutely amazing. You know that the, that there's something to it when all the all the folks who are advancing wokeness are upset that y'all are meeting. I mean, if, if anybody's following the Twitter sphere, following what's happening, I, I won't name names at this point, but I'll simply say there's an uproar about this conference, and I, and I definitely want to, uh, to encourage you to be there. You'll want to be in the place when that thing goes down, so... Haters gonna hate, bro. Haters gonna hate, man. That's all that. Hey, like they say, man, make your haters your motivators. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> make your haters your motivators, Absolutely. Man. Well, man, I'm glad, like I said, to be back behind the microphone with you. We're going to tee up another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast, brother. Let me toss it to you. What do you got for us? You know, man, as we are recording this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, Omaha, there's a movement, for lack of a better word, a foot within a certain demographic of evangelicalism that's urging black Christians in particular, okay, black Christians in particular, to leave, quote, white evangelical spaces, unquote. Mm -hmm. Now, this movement is known as Leave Loud, okay? Leave Loud. That's what the movement is, is known as, and it's being led, at least in part, by an evangelical organization known as the Witness BCC. The Witness BCC with the letters BCC standing for Black Christian Collective. Okay. The Witness BCC, BCC standing for the Black Christian Collective. Now, the Witness BCC was founded by theologian and author Jamar Tisby. Okay. Jamar Tisby, some of our listeners may very well be familiar with his name, but according to the Witness BCC's website, it says, quote, 
The Witness BCC seeks to engage its core audience by encouraging, educating, and empowering black Christians to be stewards of the black prophetic tradition, unquote. Okay, that's directly from the BCC, the Witness, rather, BCC website. That website goes on to say this, quote, The Witness is a nonprofit faith-based media organization that engages issues of religion, race, justice, and culture from a biblical perspective. The Witness consciously draws on the expansive black church tradition to address matters of personal faith while also speaking to issues of public righteousness through blog posts, feature-length articles, podcasts, and live reporting, unquote. Now, I want to just read all that just to give you a background about who this organization is and what they're about. Now, on March 8th, 2021, March 8th, 2021, Jamar Tisby is quoted on the website of The Witness BCC as saying the following, quote, in recent months, we've seen a surge of black leaders and congregants in predominantly white or multi-ethnic churches and Christian spaces decide that it's time for them to go. We bear witness to the hurt, harm, and frustration that our siblings have experienced. Enough is enough. It's time to hashtag leave loud. To hashtag leave loud is to tell our stories, to name things for what they are, to take back the dignity we've lost while being in institutions that don't value the fullness of the image of God within us and to go where we are celebrated and not just tolerated, unquote. Now, notwithstanding what the hashtag leave loud movement is all about. And we're going to delve into that in a greater detail in this episode of the just thinking podcast on activist theology. A fundamental question that Tisby's words raise in my mind, Omaha is this whose church is it? Whose church is it? That is to say to whom does the church, and when I say the church, capital C, to whom does the church belong to begin with? Right. I mean, you see, Omaha, before we begin to even discuss what the hashtag leave loud movement is trying to accomplish within the church at the local level mm-hmm. by urging black Christians to, quote, leave white evangelical spaces, unquote, one must first consider the question I just posed about the capital C church or What for the sake of our conversation in this episode, I will henceforth refer to as uppercase church and lowercase church or local church. This hashtag leave loud movement or perhaps better initiative brings us yet again, Omaha, face to face with ground we've previously covered Mm -hmm. on other episodes Mm -hmm. of the Just Thinking podcast. And here are just a few of those episodes that either directly or indirectly touch on some of the ground we're going to revisit today in this episode on activist theology. Okay, so we did, ep- we did a two-part episode titled Woke Worship. We did our episode on politics in the black church. The episode titled One Church, One Body. The episodes we did on Black Lives Matter, the church of BLM, wokeness in the church, artificial diversity, the SBC report on racism and slavery in America. We did an episode titled Police Violence. 
the one we did on George Floyd and the gospel, the one we did on Breonna Taylor and the gospel. We did an episode titled Identity Crisis, mm. Sin by Proxy. We even did an episode titled How to Be a Better White Person. <laughs> right. And, you know, as I look back on those episodes, Omaha, and, and there are other related episodes that I didn't mention. Right. But as I look back on those that I did mention, I find that what they each have in common is that to one extent or another, they all have something to do with professing believers dissatisfaction that the local church has somehow failed to live up to, if not exceed their subjective expectations and standards for what a church should be at the local level. Mm -hmm. So again, notwithstanding the presuppositions and the premises upon which the Leave Loud initiative was launched, I would argue that those are subordinate issues when considered against the question I posed earlier, which is, whose church is it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thoughts on that, man? A lot, lot of thoughts on that, man. I'll start by saying, man, I, I, it looks like you went back through the catalog and, and picked up a number of the episodes that we've done about this topic. And so, A, I, I'm, I'm glad you listed those so that people know that this, this subject matter is not new to us. Also, I, I want to insert here that we've got over a hundred and some odd episodes. So while this is a topic that I think a lot of folks think about us or lean to us uh, with regard to, uh, this is not all we do. Uh, we've got, we've right. got episodes on, on general, uh, you know, general theological issues, but for the record, man, I listened to the episode where Jamar Tisby told his hashtag leave loud story. Uh, and I, I listened believing that there would be some bombshell moment or moments that drove him to conclude that it was time to hashtag leave loud. I also mm -hmm. thought that Tisby would say something that indicated a specific evidence or evidences of racism that led to the determination that it was time to leave. What he shared was actually contrary to that idea. And what I mean is that if you listen to his story, Tisby was encouraged and even platformed in numerous places, which he now deems to be racist. What I did find, however, was a consistent pattern that I want to try to lay out for our listeners based upon his comments. And I do this not to accuse Tisby of anything nefarious. Instead, I think it establishes a pattern that I want our listeners to look for in the vast majority of these kinds of hashtag leave loud stories. Mm -hmm. Now, let me begin mm -hmm. by saying I've never met Jamar Tisby. I'm familiar, however, with his work. I've read The Color of Compromise, which, is, which, which leads to why I'm not surprised by some of the moves he's currently making. By all, right. by all accounts, he's intelligent, articulate, thought, and a thoughtful individual with whom I disagree with on the subject of ethnicity, and someone I believe expresses contradictions in his comments about these issues. Now, let me get mm -hmm. started. Based upon Jamar's comments, his hashtag leave loud story actually began in 2013 with the Trayvon Martin death. Again, according mm -hmm. to Jamar, the conflict was that the death of Trayvon Martin actually happened in Sanford, Florida. Now, Sanford, Florida, for those who don't know, is the home of St. Andrew's Church. This is R.C. Sproul's church. And, and the process problem that Tisby articulated or stated was that he had gone on the St. Andrew's Church website, and in the same city where the Trayvon Martin case happened, there was nothing about the case that was actually on the website for the church. 
Now, Tisby, a Reformed Theological Seminary graduate, stated that this was the first red flag that something was wrong. Now, during the Trayvon Martin case, Tisby realized that the language that he used around racial reconciliation, in his words, now needed to change from racial reconciliation to racial justice. Now, I want to pause for a moment to examine two responses that were made during the Trayvon Martin case in 2013. The first response came from black churches and their allies. And as soon as possible, after the death of Trayvon, news outlets gave the narrative that Trayvon was shot holding Skittles and an Arizona iced tea while wearing a hoodie. Now, shortly after that, churches were racing to have communion services for remembrance. Now, that remembrance was not of the sacrifice of Christ who had died on the cross for their sins. It was to remember Trayvon Martin. And the elements of these communion of, of, the, of these communion services were Skittles and Arizona tea. Darrell, you remember this happening at that time? I, I remember that happening. Matter of fact, I was just about to interge- or ask if I could interject sure. real yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you mentioned uh, those communion services because it was uh, right after it was during the Trayvon Martin trial where George Zimmerman was on trial in Florida that I was attending Princeton Theological Seminary as part of their mm-hmm. Black Theology mm-hmm. and Leadership Institute. Mm-hmm. And I was actually I actually attended on the campus of Princeton Theological Seminary in Miller Chapel. There was a memorial service held within Miller Chapel on the campus of PTS. I was in the room. I was there. I saw the candles. I saw, I heard the, uh, the uh, remarks and the memorial comments. I heard the laments. I saw it. I witnessed it for myself. Mm-hmm. Now, this service at Miller Chapel, however, there, though there were no Skittles, there was no Arizona iced tea. However, there was this sort of element of uh, African spiritualism mm-hmm. that is reminiscent to our Black Lives Matters episodes where we called out how the phrase that BLM likes to use a lot, you know, say, say her name, name yep. say his yep. name. That actually was taking place within Miller Chapel during that memorial service that I witnessed myself. So people were uh, asked to come up in front, uh, just in front of the uh, the pulpit, uh, in front of the pews there, uh, as these candles were lit, to recall a person's name, a, a, anyone. It could be a relative or a friend or someone they know. Uh, it could be Trayvon's name himself. Write that name on a post-it note and then stick that name against a whiteboard. Uh, so it was that sort of liturgy that happened at uh, Princeton Th- uh, Theological Seminary in Miller Chapel during the Trayvon Martin trial. I was there. I saw it firsthand so there was it was facilitated by this black woman who uh conducted the service along the same lines as the yoruba religious practices that we pointed out that black lives matters practices mm-hmm. the, the leaders of that organization practice mm-hmm. uh, b- by their own attestation so uh I, I am very familiar with exactly what you're what you're describing to our listeners listeners rather because i was there during one of those services in This is important for the purpose of context, because I want you to see what's happening in culture, but how it's viewed through the lens of one individual who uses it as a catalyst for something he's going to determine later is the need to hashtag leave loud. Now, I I mentioned at at the outset that there were two responses in 2013 after the Trayvon Martin death. One was the response that we've articulated. The other response, which is obviously the response that was taken by St. Andrews 
which was in light of conflicting stories around the events and the testimonies around these events. The second approach held by many churches was to wait and to see what had actually Mm -hmm. happened. Those were the two responses during the time. Now, Tisby, however, on the same trajectory as the organization Black Lives Matter, was calling for justice. However, for them, justice meant a particular outcome based solely Mm -hmm. on ethnicity of the person involved. Mm -hmm. Black man, that meant righteous. White or white-ish, because we know George Zimmerman actually wasn't white, but of course, they tried to spin that narrative as if he was at first. But if if it was a white assailant, well, he was an evil murderer by, by strict definition. Any church neglecting that narrative was racist and culpable in putting Jamar Tisby on the path to hashtag leave loud. Now, next, Tisby mentions in 2004, mentions in 2014, the Ferguson event. It, it, it was an incident in Ferg. It was the incident in Fer- Ferguson, which gave us the shooting death of Michael Brown. Now, some remember the narrative of Michael Brown, where people around the world in solidarity with Brown were holding up their hands and repeating the phrase, hands up, don't shoot. Now, for Tisby, this was another instance of a black man being murdered while the church sat silently on the issue. Tisby mentioned one example where there was a discussion about ethnicity and he was horrified. So again, here's a situation in Ferguson and there are two responses. One is silence and the other decides to say something. And and when that happened, I want to give you his response. In, In the podcast, he had mentioned the fact that there was an article written by Dr. Vody Bakum called Thoughts of Ferguson. Now, the article was actually written and published by the Gospel Coalition, and it is still available. But Tisby mentions that the, that the article first came to his organization, and what did they do? They passed. They did not want to publish that article. Mm-hmm. Tisby felt mm-hmm. that it reflected the notion that Michael Brown had it coming, and by it, I mean the shooting. Now, I'll let our listeners Google the article for themselves and make their own judgment about what Vody actually said. Instead, what I want to read is what the Department of Justice said upon the conclusion of the Michael Brown case. They said this, mm-hmm. quote, nearly seven months have passed since the shooting death of 18 year old Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. That tragic incident provoked widespread demonstrations and stirred strong emotions from those in, Ferg- in the Ferguson area and around our nation. It also prompted a federal investigation by the U.S. Department of Justice with the criminal section of of the Civil Rights Division, the U.S. Attorney's Office of the Eastern District of Missouri and the FBI, seeking to determine whether this shooting violated civil rights law. This morning, the Justice Department announced the conclusion of our investigation and released a comprehensive 87-page report documenting our findings and conclusion that the facts, listen closely, that the facts do not support the filing of criminal charges against Officer Darren Wilson in this case. Michael Brown's death, though a tragedy, did not involve prosecutable conduct on the part of Officer Wilson. I'm I'm continuing. uh, Let me pause here and say this as it pertains to the hands up. Don't shoot portion. Here's here's what they said. They said this following quote, although several individuals who have stated that Brown held his hands up 
in an unambiguous sign of surrender prior to Wilson shooting him dead, their accounts do not support a prosecution of Wilson. As detailed throughout this report, some of those accounts are inaccurate because they are inconsistent with the physical forensic evidence. Some of those accounts are materially inconsistent with what the witnesses own prior statements with no explanation. Certain other witnesses who originally stated that Brown had his hands up in the surrender recanted their original accounts, mm-hmm. admitting that they did not witness the shooting or parts of it, despite, despite what they initially reported either to federal or local law enforcement or to the media, end quote. Now, in the case of Michael Brown, Obama's DOJ could not find enough evidence to charge the officer of wrongdoing in the Brown shooting. Now, to be clear, let me be clear, a black president, a black attorney general, a black district attorney did not find the hands up, don't shoot narrative to be accurate, nor was there enough evidence for the prosecution of the officer involved in the death of Michael Brown. However, Jamar Tisby and others who hold his worldview, the, the evidence for, let me say that, let me, let me say that again. However, for Jamar Tisby and for others who hold his worldview, the evidence in this investigation is irrelevant. The only relevant, relevant component right. of the narrative is the melanin count of the victim in right. the story. For Tisby, like many in the movement, Justice must produce a particular outcome for a person of color. Mm -hmm. This, too, was a component of the situation which led to Tisby's journey on his uh, led Tisby rather on the journey to hashtag leave loud. Now, the final straw for Jamar was the 2016 election of Donald J. Trump. Many of you are familiar with his now infamous podcast where he stated he didn't feel safe attending his his predominantly white reformed church due to the election and the evangelical support for Donald Trump. Now, he would later explain that there was no physical threat that he felt while being at the church. He simply felt the ideological shift that was taking place for which he could not believe. Now, I'll end with this. I want our listeners to understand that Jamar and those who hold to the hashtag leave loud worldview are leaving on the are not leaving rather on the basis of some specific injustice or incident of racism. Instead, they are ideologically opposed to the church. And when the and when the evidence exposes the absolute failure of their presupposition, they still hold to that idea. In other words, If you don't support the narrative of black victimization, you are a racist and they are going to hashtag leave loud. The one thing, one of the things that Jamar said during his podcast was this. I thought this was interesting, uh, Daryl, for for us to consider. If you're black, he said, and you find yourself in a white setting, you'll either, he gave you three options. You'll either blow out, burn out, or sell out. You see what he's doing there? You'll either blow out, <laughs> burn out, or sell out. So, wow. so if we're in a white setting and we're black, we we either are we the only option that we have is to leave or be marginalized by the idea that we've had to sell out. Our position couldn't have validity. He only articulates it as an ad hominem against where we currently stand. And so, so what that means is that the only option for the black man in the majority setting is to hashtag leave. Loud. So if you're black and you're in a majority setting, your only option is to hashtag leave loud. I'll save the segregationist component represented by this move for later. But those are my comprehensive thoughts regarding the issue. Thanks for letting me go on so long, Daryl. 
No, no problem at all. That was that was great stuff, Omaha. And I want to make sure you come back to that segregationist aspect because I've got something to say about that oh, yeah. myself. Yeah. And I, let me just go off script here for one second. I think, you know, as I listen to you, especially when you talk about how Jamar would go on with his stories, you know, his 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 story about uh, his own experience and whatnot, that brings to mind a, a, a key component of critical race theory that our listeners need to be aware of. Uh, so you're hearing the word a lot lately about story. Story, stories. In critical race theory, the formal term for that is called narratology. Narratology, that's N-A-R-R-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y. Narratology. In critical race theory, what people do is they use their own personal story. They use their own personal experience as epistemological uh, validation of truth, either in favor of an entire ethnic group or in disfavor of an entire ethnic group. So what you've just gone through, uh, Omaha, and that dialogue that you just took us through is is an example of narratology where uh, uh, Tisby is trying to use his own personal experience or his own interpretation of someone else's experience as being applicable and valid for everybody. Mm-hmm. In his case, every black person. Right. And then by deduction, every white person. So this is one of those instances where, uh, again, and this is what we do on the Just Thinking podcast. We dissect these issues for our listeners because I trust me, you will not hear this anywhere else. Mm -hmm. You will not hear this anywhere else. Uh, Narratology is 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 the manipulation, the attempt to manipulate anyway, attempt to manipulate you emotionally. Okay, and get you to buy into a person's uh, individual experience, which may be true or not. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, But regardless of whether it's true or not, it's that one person's experience. Okay, you and I, you and I, Omaha, we have our own personal experience. And we've said we've said on various episodes of this podcast, for instance, I've I've told the story more than on one occasion that I've been held up at gunpoint twice in my life, both times by a black person. But who would I be to uh, use that, those individual experiences, even though there were, there were two separate experiences, who would I be to uh, uh, just sort of uh, paint with such a broad brush, every young black man, uh, just on the basis of my experience of being robbed at gunpoint by a young black Mm -hmm. man. Mm-hmm. That 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 that's 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 ridiculous. That's absurd. Absolutely, I, I, that wouldn't make any sense to do that. Absolutely. Go ahead. I shared with you that you know I, I spent quite a bit of time. You know how we do. We get down. We get our research in when we go in on these topics, and I spent time listening yep. to a number of the Leave Loud stories, and that's exactly what took place. There were these lengthy storylines of an individual's personal experience, which was was used in an effort to try to display, hey, see, see what happened to her, see what happened to him. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. happens to every mm-hmm. black person that every ever person. enters yep. a mm-hmm. situation or a circumstance. And so mm-hmm. just as you feel sad or bad or mad about what you're hearing, you need to feel that way about every situation where you see a black mm-hmm. person engaged yep. in a predominantly white setting because that's their experience too. And, you know, great point, Omaha. And I have to go back again. Something you alluded to earlier with respect to the Trayvon Martin situation, the Michael Brown situation, and how you have people like Tisby defining justice in terms of outcome. Absolutely. 
Okay, we're back there again with the George Floyd situation and Derek Chauvin. Derek Chauvin is on trial right now for his life. Okay, in the George in the shooting. I'm sorry, not the shooting death, but in the death of George Floyd. I'm going to let our listeners go go do their own research with regard to uh, the uh, the incident that led to uh, George Floyd's death. But Derek Chauvin, former Minneapolis police officer, is on trial right now. And I'm sure you've seen the video, Omaha, of this professed young black female Black Lives Matters leader in a video saying that unless Derek Chauvin is convicted, right. the, the cities are going to burn. Absolutely. The cities are going to burn. So we're right here again. There was there was Trayvon Martin. There was Michael Brown. Now there's George Floyd and Derek Chauvin is on trial for his life. Mm -hmm. But as I said on social media, on, on Twitter, not too long ago, only a few days ago, what the Christians should want is equity. See, th here here we have <clears throat> a, a prime, a, another example. I won't say a prime example, but here we are again. Another example where we are having this discussion over the distinction between equity and equality. You see what a what a what someone like a Tisby wants or what someone uh, who, who, who kind of sees sees the world through race colored glasses as he does. They want equality. They don't want equity. See, equity would say, well, I want the facts just as you uh, express verbatim uh, from reading from the FBI, the Obama Justice Department report. Mm hmm. What did they say? They said the facts didn't warrant no. the facts didn't warrant no. a prosecution no. uh, in the case of Michael Brown. The facts. No. But what But what do we want today? No, 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 no. We don't want equity. See, equity is the impartial application of God's law to everyone mm -hmm. equally right. without partiality, without bias. Right. That's what we should want in the Derek Chauvin case. Whatever the facts dictate, whatever the objective facts dictate, let the outcome be driven by the facts. But oh, no, 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 no. What, what people like Tisby and others want is an, a melanin influenced outcome whereby they're, they're saying to themselves, well, listen, we didn't get it. We didn't get the outcome we wanted with Trayvon Martin. We didn't get the outcome we wanted with Michael Brown. Well, now you guys need to start balancing the scales out. You got to give us this one because we're due. You got to give us this one. The, the, the truth is irrelevant. We need a conviction because another black man has was killed allegedly by according to, to their perspective on it. Another black man was killed by a white uh, authority figure. So we're due. We're due a conviction. You owe us this because that victim is black. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. And see, equity doesn't care about those things. Equity says, let the truth dictate the outcome. Let the facts dictate the outcome. But see, equality, as you said, Omaha, is outcomes driven. This is outcomes driven. Today. This is, this is, it's outcomes this is outcomes driven. driven. And I, I wanted to, I, I took the time to set that up because I, I want our listeners to begin looking for a pattern when whenever a specific outcome is not is not to the, the liking of, of an individual who holds these kinds of worldviews, then they want action. And it's not about the facts. It's not about what took place. It's, and, and again, there's all kinds of language used to deconstruct situations mm -hmm, right. to, to, to view one person's action as the action of a collective. I mean, there's all kinds of language around that. We're going to get into that in this episode. I promise you that. But, but, but I, I want, I, I set that up and those weren't the only reasons that, that Tisby gave. Uh, those were the core components of, of kind of a timeline of historic events that caused him to say, wait a minute. I'm looking at what's happening in the culture. 
I'm witnessing some aspect of that in church culture. And as a result, here we are long after uh, uh, Trump's gone and the like, I now have to hashtag mm-hmm. leave loud. Right. And you know, Omaha, as worldly philosophies and ideologies such as the quote, social gospel, unquote, critical race theory and liberation theology continue to make inroads and take root within evangelicalism today, particularly within evangelical churches that are located in urban areas and urban communities. It is not at all, at all surprising to see movements like Leave Loud spring up that advocate a kind of ecclesiastical segregation of sorts under the guise of to again, quote Jamar Tisby, taking back the dignity weave and with weave being uh, referring to black Christians, taking back the dignity we've lost while being in institutions that don't value the fullness of the image of God within us and to go where we are celebrated and not just tolerated, unquote. Now, notwithstanding all of that, to urge black Christians or any Christians of any ethnicity, for that matter, to leave local churches whose congregations are predominantly white or even multi-ethnic, for that matter, because your, quote, dignity, unquote, as a black person hasn't been fully acknowledged, recognized or appreciated by them is to make you and your personal preferences the reason that those churches exist in the first place, as if those churches were accountable to you, a sinner. Right as opposed to being accountable to a holy God from whose infinite mind, the very idea of the church originated and under whose authority, every true church at the local level must submit. Now it is with that in mind that I want to quote from the book truths. We confess subtitled a systematic exposition of the Westminster confession of faith. Truths We confess a systematic exposition of the Westminster Confession of Faith, written by the late Dr. R.C. Sproul, who in the chapter titled Of the Church, said the following, quote, The invisible church is made up of those who truly are in Christ, and it is called invisible because we cannot read the hearts of people. However, those who are God's are known to him perfectly. He can read the heart. We cannot. The invisible church exists substantially within the visible church, but cannot be identified with it. It refers to the elect, to those who make genuine professions of faith. The church, Augustine taught, is always a, quote, mixed body, unquote. In this world, it is made up of wheat and tares. Though the tares are in the visible church, they have no place in the invisible church, unquote. Now, conversely, Dr. John Frame, in his systematic theology, subtitled An Introduction to Christian Belief, Dr. John Frame said this in the chapter titled The Nature of the Church, quote, what is the church? Essentially, the church is the people of God in all ages. Notice that the church is people, not buildings, although it is right that the people have buildings in which to meet. The church is not, however, just any people. It is the people in covenant with God through Jesus Christ. In one sense, the church is the elect, those joined to Christ in eternity past and through eternity future. In another sense, it is the people who sincerely, excuse me, or insincerely have identified themselves with God's people by profession and baptism. The visible church 
contains both elect and non-elect. The non-elect are covenant breakers, not covenant keepers. They are branches in the vine of Christ that one day will be broken off, unquote. That was Dr. John Frame from his systematic theology. Now, likewise, Louis Burkhoff in his systematic theology says this, quote, the church consists of those who are partakers of Christ and of the blessings of salvation that are in him. The reformed conception is that Christ, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, unites men with himself, endows them with true faith, and thus constitutes the church as his body. The Reformation broke from the Roman Catholic view of the church and centered attention once more on the church as a spiritual organism. It emphasized the fact that there is no church apart from the redemptive work of Christ and from the renewing operations of the Holy Spirit, unquote. Now, I quoted those gentlemen just to give our listeners Omaha an idea of how, this, how important it is that we recognize how the church is defined, okay? How the church is defined, what constitutes the church. You need, we need to understand what constitutes the church and before we understand what constitutes a church, mm-hmm. okay? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I especially appreciate what Louis Burkhoff said, though, in describing the church as a, quote, spiritual organism, unquote, because that's precisely what the church is. The church is a supernatural entity. It is a supernatural reality. The church was in the mind of God long before the world began. In other words, the church is neither a man conceived nor a man concocted idea. All right. Now, consequently, The church cannot be framed or envisaged through the lens of human experiences, assumptions, or presuppositions. The church is a creation of God, and if we are to view the church rightly, meaning biblically, we must begin with a vertical perspective, which is to say, with an exalted view of how God himself designed and purposed the church to function in the world. Not with a horizontal perspective of how we in our fallible imperfection were perceived the church or those who by God's sovereign and providential will are a part of it. Okay. So we need to have a vertical perspective of the church, not a horizontal perspective. Yeah. The, The church does not exist to quote, celebrate unquote, who you and I are as individual image bearers of God. To to make such a claim is to place the focus on the image bearer and not on the God whose image we bear. That's good. That's good. We we, we are commanded, okay? We're commanded as believers to glorify God in our bodies, not to glorify ourselves. That's 1 Corinthians 6.20. Scripture teaches in Acts 17.26-28 that God created each of us from one man. That man is Adam, that we might seek after him. For it it is in him, it is in God, not in ourselves, that each of us lives and moves and have our being. Mm -hmm. Thoughts on that, Omar? Absolutely. I I mean, I think the point that you're making is critically important because in the culture we currently live, we've got everything upside down uh, and backwards. I mean, we really do. The point that you're making about the church, who the church belongs to, is an important one to make. The church belongs to Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Any benefit that we receive is a direct result of our submission to Christ. 
and our conformity mm-hmm. to His Word. Uh, the church's purpose is the brilliant display of the glory of Christ, not the embattled expression of the color of our skin. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we give into abuse. I am, however, saying that, that we need to listen closely to what's being said from those who are a part of the hashtag leave loud movement. And when we do, mm-hmm. it becomes increasingly difficult to identify the cause of their departure. The, the, the longer you listen, the more difficult it is to figure out why they're leaving. Most, most of, most of what's being shared in those spaces are long-winded diatribes about things that no one can adequately identify. Furthermore, I've yet to hear one person make a biblical case for their departure. I want to go back to something that was stated earlier in your commentary in particular. You mentioned the the Witnesses website, and you read the following quote. Mm -hmm. It said, quote, In recent months, we've seen a surge of black leaders and congregants in predominantly white or multi-ethnic churches and Christian spaces decide that it's time for them to go. They went on to say, we bear witness to the hurt, harm, and frustration that our siblings have experienced. Enough is enough. It's time to hashtag leave loud, end quote. That's at the, at, it's at this point that we've got to think, when the sole basis of someone departing from the church is that their, the, the people with their melanin count uh, haven't been adequately celebrated, we have to begin asking the question, who's the real racist? I, I I think we man whoa 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 ho 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 whoa <laughs> did did I, did I really just hear you ask that question Absol- we we've got to ask, we got to st- are you are are, are you trying you trying to get people mad I'm not us, trying man? to get anybody mad man <laughs> I've just I, I I really had to as the longer I listen and I I sent you a text of how many hours of this stuff I listened to. I had to ask the question every time we're talking about leaving something and the reason for our departures, well, they didn't celebrate my blackness. They didn't celebrate the fact right. that I, I, I was black and they didn't, they didn't recognize this or they didn't recognize my mm-hmm. giftings or they didn't recognize. And there was a mm-hmm. lot of that. I, I listened to hours of that. I had to begin asking the question, who's the real racist? Because the, the basis of the departure, the basis of the angst that they felt was on the basis of their skin color. Right. I, I, I'll, yeah. I'll say more about that in a minute. And here was the second part of it. Quote, we bear witness to the hurt, harm and frustration that our siblings have experienced. End quote. Now, seriously, what does that even mean? What, what, right. what was the hurt? Let's talk about it with specificity. Let's stand on the same side of right and do something about what's wrong. The, the idea behind hashtag leave loud or the leave loud series is a lengthy, lifelong look through the experiences of the members of the witness who took slights, unkind treatment, and the rude behavior that they experienced, and they attributed racist motivations to the actions of those they encountered. Mm -hmm. None of what I heard was was currently actionable or or something that that amounted to some high-level oppression for which all of us needed to rise and, and, and combat. With respect to all that was shared, let me say this. People sin, and and and, and and even and even church people sin against one Hello. another. That that's called life. Now now to attribute some systemic racist narrative to every slight is something of an overreach. Now I, I've I I I, I, I want to say this: Have I experienced behavior from others that was off-putting? Have you experienced behavior from others, Daryl, that was off-putting at church? 
Absolutely. Even even from people who look like me. Absolutely. Absolutely. We we all have. Let me let me before I before I go there, let me jump to what the, the, the point that you were making uh in the previous section. I get off on these tangents. Let me let me get back on to the do, point that Do your thing, bro. It's our show. It's our show. Let me show, get on man. to the do point you that you were making earlier. You, you you were making the point about whose church it is. For the last fifty years, the church growth movement, having embraced pragmatism, has manufactured the idea of a church just for you. I put that in air quotes. Here's the church Mm -hmm. just for you. I put that in air quotes. Mm -hmm. This idea has proliferated the church's landscape, causing professing Christians to believe that if their felt needs aren't adequately met, they can drive around the corner, find another church with the perfect set of programs to meet their family's needs. Now, as if that weren't enough, the the postmodern embrace that we've seen of subjective personal truth Right. And the idolatry that has been embraced around one's personal feelings as God, this is a recipe for absolute disaster. Now, right. now imagine the chaos of the two things I've mentioned, pragmatism on the one hand and postmodernity on the other. Under normal, sta- under normal circumstances, those two things combined are problematic. Now, amplify this problem through the lens of personal experiential adaptations regarding ethnicity. Right. Where Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, you talked about this earlier, where Trayvon Martin, mm-hmm. Michael, uh, uh, Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown and historical racism become your personal stories. Now, now they're not right. just stories that are out there in the ether, but those are your personal stories. In other words, if you're a right. black man and you attend a predominantly white evangelical church, it's not just that the church didn't have a program for your family. It, what they're positing is the idea that you are Trayvon Martin. You are Michael Brown. You are a slave. You are the one who's suffering Jim Crow right here and right now. And guess what? There's no. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say Omaha kind of reminds me of the episode we did on sin by proxy. Yes. Except in this case, it's oppression by proxy. Bro. (laughs) Bro. It's oppression by proxy. Yes. That's that's exactly what's taking place. And, and, and so now this is more than just, there's not a program for your family. This is, there's, there's not a program to help you with the trauma that you're currently enduring based upon the historic narrative of the past. And, and, and that's, and, and that's where we are with the hashtag leave loud crowd. This is a delusional disposition. And, and this is what reformed evangelicalism is tasked to address, or they must suffer the consequences of some form of hashtag leave loud. Now let me let me say let me say it this way, Daryl. When I when I was a when I was a, a screaming child in my mother's house, and, and I was threatening to leave her home if I didn't get my way, she had she had some words for me. She she had she had something she wanted to say to me. And 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 when I was this screaming child in my mother's house, and I was threatening, you know what? If I don't get my way. I'm going to leave. I want to offer to the leave to the hashtag leave loud or hashtag leave loud friends the words of wisdom that my mother provided me when, 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 when I was doing this kind of behavior. She would say this. She'd say, baby, don't let the door hit you with a good Lord split you. Right. She, 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 she would just tell me it's, t- it's time to go. It's, it's, <laughs> That's, that's it. Well, look, look, John, John said it this way in first John two nineteen. He said this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. 
For if they had been, yeah, come on. for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Now, when you listen to men like Jamar, you'll hear him say that he's not abandoning the faith. The question that I have is, what faith are you clinging to? Is it the once for Man, all? Is on. it the once for all delivered to the saints' faith? Or is it some blend of James Cone, Ibram Kendi, and Ta-Nehisi Coates? Is that the faith that you're clinging to? At the end of the day, these are the questions that must be asked and answered. That's all I got for now. Man, way to spit that fire, Omaha, <laughs> man. I, hey, I got, I, I love what your mom said, bro. Right? And let me just say, let me just say, to, say, say this to you. My mom said the same thing to me. Absolutely. My mom said the same thing to me. Oh, yeah, really? Matter of fact, my mom added to that, I'll hold the door open for you. Right, right. right. <laughs> I have your bags okay. packed. I have everything. With, look, no, look, don't, don't even worry about it. Everything will be out on the front lawn waiting for you. Out on the front lawn and because my family, we never had a car growing up. Right. So my mom would call. There was a, a, a taxi stand right up the street, literally up the street on the corner from the block that I lived on. My mom could just call the taxi, have a taxi out front waiting for me, hold the door open for me with my bag packed with whatever poor possessions I had. Right. Open the taxi door, escort me in and close the door and see me off. Right. See, that, 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 that was a time where in, uh, in black families and black communities, See, nonsense like this would, is, was not tolerated. You're, you're, it was not tolerated. You're, you're exactly right. And what unfortunately, brother, what I'm seeing, and again, we, this will take, I, I don't want to delve too far on, on a rabbit trail. What we're seeing in evangelicalism, specifically in the SBC, are, are, are folks kowtowing to this kind of nonsense. Uh, the, the, the presidents of the seminaries who came out with the letter that said, you know what, CRT is not mm -hmm. compatible uh, with, mm -hmm. with the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Well, what happened? Well, uh, okay, th there were some black folks that got upset, claimed they were going to leave, and then everybody mm -hmm. needs to come to the room and have a... Everybody's like, oh, oh, yeah. oh, 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 no, 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 no. Oh, yes. oh, they upset. Oh, yes. oh, what do we do? What do we yes. do? Yes, and have a kumbaya moment. Come man, on. get out of here with that. Come on, man. Somebody... <laughs> this, 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 is nothing, this is nothing other than... And parents who are listening to me will understand this. This is nothing different than your child, your toddler toddlerizing your house absolutely trying to throw a fit throw throw a tantrum uh, trying to manipulate you into giving them what they want absolutely and the thing is that child knows once that child wins the first time it's over absolutely. for you it's over for you that's why you cannot afford to give in you cannot afford to give in. You know, I want our listeners to know, okay, that I thought it necessary. I want to reiterate this. The reason I thought it necessary to quote from Dr. Sproul, Dr. Frame, Dr. Burkhoff earlier is because what we need today in the church is a lesson in Ecclesiology 101. In other words, as professing Christians who by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are brought by God into the church, that's 1 Corinthians 1.30, we need to understand both fundamentally and biblically what the church universal is and why it exists so as to likewise understand why churches exist at the local level. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, 
in expressing his disdain and expressing his personal disdain over the manner in which, according to him, that is Tisby, white Christians, quote, don't value the fullness of the image of God within black Christians, unquote. Jamar Tisby is viewing the local church through the subjective lens of what I call standpoint ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. Now, listeners to the Just Think the Podcast, Omaha may already be familiar with the term standpoint epistemology. Yes, this is good. Namely, the idea that truth is grounded in one's personal experience. But they may be less familiar with the term standpoint ecclesiology, probably because this is the first time I've used that term publicly. But in much the same way that standpoint epistemology argues that truth is experiential, standpoint ecclesiology uses one's personal experience within the church, specifically as it involves narratology and storytelling, to make a case for how the local church and those who comprise the local church should function and operate or not. Now, in saying that, I'm reminded of the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who in a sermon he preached on April 7th, 1887, April 7th, 1887, Spurgeon preached a sermon titled The Lord's Own View of His Church and People. Mm. Now, in that sermon, Spurgeon rightly declared this, quote, the church is not formed to be a social club to produce society for itself. It is not to be a political association or to be a power in politics, nor even to be a religious confederacy promoting its own opinions. The church is a body created of the Lord to answer his own ends and purposes, and it exists for nothing else. Unquote. That was Charles Haddon Spurgeon from his sermon, The Lord's Own View of His Church and People. Now, standpoint ecclesiology would disagree with Spurgeon on that. It is standpoint ecclesiology that results in movements like Leave Loud. Leave Loud exists for one reason, because certain black Christians have seen fit to set a subjective moral, ethical and behavioral standard of their non-black brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. Then that that standard is rooted in the golden calf of ethno-cultural tribalism. Yes. I'm going to repeat Dude, that. please. So nice you got to say it twice. Stamp on the, I'll, I'll say this, leave loud. Leave loud exists for one reason, yes. okay? The one reason leave loud exists is because certain black Christians have seen fit to set a subjective, moral, ethical, and behavioral standard of their non-black brothers and sisters in Christ that is rooted in the golden calf of ethno-cultural tribalism. Now, consequently, a new and exclusive category of sin has now been established. Mm -hmm. A new category of sin has now been created. The sin of failing to celebrate the dignity, culture, and tradition of black Christians. Not merely as image bearers of God, but as black image bearers of God. That's the key. What you just said right there is critical that is because what they're doing and i, I and i did i did i i i, I, I hated to jump in because i know you're on a flow i just no do your thing I, bro go ahead that's key because what you'll the language that you will hear is they're appealing to being an image bearer you, you're not you're not celebrating right. me as an image bearer of god but what they mean by what they say and and that and 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 i promise you I, this is not hyperbole 
the 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 rest of my notes will bear that out the rest of what i'm going to bring will, will 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 validate the point that i'm making here but i but i want to make a a note regarding that here because this is the first time you've actually said it this is not about being recognized and celebrating the dignity of an image bearer of god because if that were the mm-hmm. case we would be talking about it from a standpoint of of equality Right. That's not that's not that's not what's what's being talked about here. What we're talking about here is celebrating a black image bearer of God in a unique and special way. And that celebration, again, is never connected to Scripture. It's always this subjective idea that comes from that individual and their personal experience. Right. And you notice that when you talk about uh, the, the whole narratological uh, aspect of all this, the storytelling, the narrative, and all that kind of stuff. There are always stories that can't be validated objectively. Right. They've always, like you said earlier, it's always something that's happened in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah. So, so you're you're on the you're on the hook to just accept the narrative that they're proffering to you because it can't be objectively proven or disproven. Mm-hmm. But we said we said that about critical race theory. That critical race theory is self certifying. Mm-hmm. It's self and and these stories, these narratives are the same way. They're self certified simply by the fact that I told the story. Right. You, I don't, I don't need to prove anything to you. If you ask me to prove anything to you, then you're racist for asking. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, they're not trying to say, well, this is a uh, uh, an objective complaint that I have based on Genesis one twenty seven. No, that we that we are created male and female and female in the image of God. No, they want to be celebrated as black image bearers of God, as dark melanin image bearers of God. Now, I personally consider such an attitude as that to be tantamount to the ecclesiastical kidnapping of the local church. Why do I say that? Well, because what you're saying is that unless these churches that have predominantly white congregations capitulate to your ethnocultural demands, you're going to have to leave those spaces and in doing so, urge other black Christians to do the same. Now, now, how arrogant is that? That's ecclesiastical kidnapping uh-huh. in my book. Uh-huh. What you got, Omaha? Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. The allure of standpoint ecclesiology, as you've coined it, standpoint epistemology and, eth- eth- and ethnic Gnosticism, as Vodi has mentioned, the allure of that is that no one can challenge it or criticize it. That's the allure. Bingo, right. exactly. By, exactly. by nature and by definition, the, the truth that, is that's how they make their money. Absolutely. That's how they make. I have to say this, that's how they make their money. And I mean that literally. Oh, I'm going to get into that's that. That's how they make their money. Yes. Go ahead. Do your thing, I'm, bro. I'm gonna get Go into ahead. That. Continue with your flow. By, man. By, by nature and by definition, your truth is therefore your truth and is therefore beyond examination or criticism. Speak to it and you're the racist. Remain silent. Yep. Don't address it. And you are still the racist. The individual mm-hmm. holding all the cards actually wins. Now, in episode mm-hmm. 108 on critical race theory, we addressed this issue. In fact, man, you, you quoted the following from the Oxford Dictionary of Critical Theory, and I know you remember this. It says this, quote, defined against the traditional conception of theory governing the sciences, including the social or human sciences, at, such as sociology, which holds that it is a system of abstract propositions which can be verified empirically. Critical theory, listen closely, critical theory holds the opposite view, namely Bingo. that theory is historical, subjective, and a part of society. Critical theory in this mm-hmm. regard 
uh, and critical theory is in this regard a highly reflexive enterprise. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. never satisfied with what something means or how it works. It also has to mm-hmm. ask what is at stake in asking such questions in the first place. The word critical mm-hmm. should thus be understood to mean the opposite of analytical. Let me say that again. The word critical mm-hmm. should thus be understood to mean the opposite of analytical. It refers to a set of concepts uh, uh, concepts whose reach is always and of necessity greater than their grasp. Critical theory is in, interested in why concepts whose reach is always uh, I'm sorry, let me let me say that. Let me start that sentence again. Critical theory is interested in why human society in its eyes failed to live up to the promise of enlightenment and become what it is today, unequal, unjust and largely uncaring. Now, again, keep in mind, we're going to be using these terms interchangeably. You've just raised mm-hmm. standpoint ecclesiology. We've mm-hmm. talked about standpoint epistemology. Uh, we, we've, we've used the term ethnic Gnosticism and critical race theory. All of these terms are terms that are used interchangeably, but the bottom line to all of them, and our listeners need to understand this, is that they are self-attesting. Uh, there's no, a, there's mm-hmm. no way to examine them critically, even though they use the name right. critical theory. It right. actually means the opposite. It means you can't examine, mm-hmm. you can't question, and mm-hmm. you're in no position to do so. Mm-hmm. That's what I've got. You know... Man, thanks for that, Omaha. You know, when I examine uh, closely, when I examine at it closely, look at it closely, this whole rationale of leave loud, I mean, it appears to me that there is an ulterior motive involved here. And what I mean is that it just doesn't pass the smell test as I see it in terms of what it purports to be about. I just don't like it. Something just really rubs me the wrong way. And I say that in light of these words from the book, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind. Subtitled Rediscovering the African Seedbed of Western Christianity. Again, if you're taking notes, the title of this book that I'm about to quote from is How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind. Subtitled Rediscovering the African Seedbed of Western Christianity. Book was written by Thomas C. Odin. That's O D E N. In the chapter titled The Opportunity for Retrieval, Owen writes the following, which I believe provides us with significant insight into what leave loud ultimately is all about. Mm -hmm. Okay. Odin writes this quote, we are witnessing today the recovery of a realistic and prudent African orthodoxy that transforms cultures. Let me pause here and just say, do not miss that listeners, please listeners tune in very closely to what I'm about to read here. Okay. Again, Thomas C. Odin from the book, how Africa shaped the Christian mind. This is very important. Quote, we are witnessing today the recovery of a realistic and prudent African orthodoxy that transforms cultures. It is becoming aware historically of both the diversity of African cultural values and the human unity given in creation and redeemed from fallen creation. From within the story of divine creation, fallen voluntarily into sin, The ethical concern, don't miss this, the ethical concern, not the spiritual concern, the ethical concern for fairness and proportional tolerance of cultural diversity emerges. Classic African orthodoxy offers greater energies for social transformation and distributive justice. Did you hear that? Yes. 
Classical African orthodoxy offers greater energies, not for spiritual regeneration, no, for social transformation and distributive justice than what is available within diluted secular humanistic forms of multiculturalism. I'm continuing to quote Thomas C. Oden. Secularized multiculturalism has a more limited historical memory than the vast intergenerational social experiences of 20, 20 centuries of classic Christianity. Modern conceptions of diversity are less aware of the varieties of human culture in history than classic Christianity blessed with a wide memory of human experience, unquote. That was Thomas C. Oden from the book, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind. Now, again, my point in citing that passage is to call to the attention of our listeners, Omaha, certain terms and vernacular that Odin uses that they need to key in on. That's good, bro. Terms like fairness, proportional tolerance, cultural diversity, social transformation, distributive justice, multi culturalism, limited historical memory, and social experiences. Those all are terms that smack of the social gospel and liberation theology, Mm -hmm. and to me are no different than what the Leave Loud movement is advocating from an ecclesiastical perspective with regard to their visage of the local church. Absolutely. This is exactly what Leave Loud wants. Absolutely. Leave Loud wants a liberation theology uh, design for the local church. That's exactly what they want. But see, that's what you get when you view the church as a social institution as opposed to a spiritual one. Do not miss that, listeners. Mm-hmm. Okay? Listen, the church is not the bedrock water buffalo club from the Flintstones cartoon series, okay? <laughs> Some of the listeners, are, some of the listeners are going to know what that is. Some of them are not, bro. I, I know, I know what that not, is. I, I, I remember the Flintstones, listen, go, man. I remember go, the Flintstones. Go, go, go to YouTube and search Bedrock Water Buffalo Club. <laughs> the church is not the Bedrock Water Buffalo Club from the Flintstones. It is not Sam's Club or Costco, where if you simply sign up for a membership, you can expect certain perks and privileges in return. Mm. No. The church exists to glorify the God of the church. And it is God alone who sovereignly determines who is brought into it. Okay. As the apostle Peter states in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, Paul says this. I'm sorry. Peter says this in Acts 10, 34, 35. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation and the word, the Greek word nation, there's the word ethnos from where we get our English word ethnicity I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him Acts, that was Acts 10 34 35 Peter made it clear Peter made it clear that God is not one to show partiality period mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. but see leave loud is partiality on steroids It's the little child who refused to play ball with the other children because he can't change the rules of the game so as to ensure that he wins. Yes. 
So he just takes his ball and winds all the way home so he can complain to mom and daddy. But I'm going to say this again. The church is not about you. Yes. The church is not about me. Yes. It's not about you. Mm-mm. Listen, Pastor John MacArthur expounds on that fact in a message titled The Myth of Influence. The Myth of Influence, which he preached at the Ligonier National Conference back in 2003. Mm-hmm. After quoting the words of Jesus in Luke 9:23, where Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. John MacArthur said this, quote, listen closely to this. And see if this, this, see if this is how you view uh, yourself. Mm. Quote, the cross assaults your emotional sensibilities. Then the cross collides with your intellectual pride. And then it crushes your self-determining will. You want to be a Christian, do you? It's the end of, of you, quote unquote. The word you in quotes. If you want to be a Christian, it's the end of you. You're done. Try to sell that. This is not the gospel of self-fulfillment. This is the gospel of self-denial. This isn't the army. The church isn't where you come to be all you can be. The cross is about coming to the end of you. Jesus is saying, you want to come to me? Then refuse any further association with yourself. This is not the gospel that gives you all you want in this world. This is the gospel that takes everything you are and everything you have, unquote. That was John MacArthur from his sermon, The Myth of Influence. Now, the gospel that John MacArthur is talking about there, a gospel that takes everything you are and everything you have, is a gospel that no one wants to talk or hear about today, including many who profess to be Christians. And yet the gospel that John MacArthur is describing here is the exact same gospel Jesus preached to the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verses 17, 17 through 22. And you see, Omaha, the primary reason the rich young ruler chose not to follow Jesus is because he understood that following Jesus would demand everything from him. All his worldly possessions and all his worldly stature and reputation. John MacArthur is exactly right. The gospel that Jesus preached is a gospel that takes everything you are and everything you have. I mean, it's first John 2:15, is it not? Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. But see, we don't want to let go of the world, Omaha. We don't. That's our problem. We don't want to let go of the world. We want to act as if we can serve Christ by keeping one foot in heaven and one foot in the world. And I call that kind of spiritual dualism, doing Christianity with your fingers crossed. That's what I call that. It's like what St. Augustine prayed. Augustine prayed this. He said, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. Right. What you got, bro? bro I, I, that, that quote just beat me up as I listened to you walk through that. Uh, I, I'm just mindful of the fact that we, we, we are filled with pride. We are absolutely filled with pride. When we approach a church at, at, at a local level to, with the thought process of what's in this for me, or, th- or right. they need to recognize me, or they need to, we, we've got this thing backwards. We, yep. we need to start with, I, I, I love what he said, the cross assaults your emotional sensibilities, then it collides with your intellectual pride, then it crushes your self-determining will. Man, when you sit through a, a I don't know about anybody else, when, when, when I, I'll, I'll speak for me, when I sit through a solidly biblical reformed church with someone preaching from the word 
of God, mm-hmm. my heart is examined every time. Yep. It's it's yep. as if it's as if you cut me open, laid my chest bare for the word of God to penetrate it and to expose the sinful wretch that I really am. I see Omaha, as you say that, bro, let me just interject and say this. This is exactly what you're talking about there reminds me of something we've shared on on several episodes of the Just Thinking podcast. I've said before that the Bible is both a mirror and a window. Mm-hmm. But it is first a mirror, then a window. Mm-hmm. It's first a mirror to show you who you truly are, yeah. to show you your real self. It's first a mirror, mirror so you can see who you really are, especially in terms of your sinfulness, your own, your unworthiness, your wretchedness. Then it's a window to look out into the world and look at everybody else. Yeah. But see, what we have with this lead loud movement, see, they've inverted that. Mm-hmm. They're looking at, they're, if they're looking at scripture at all, they're looking at it as a window first. Mm-hmm. And we don't even know from what it sounds like. They're not even looking at it as a mirror. No. Because see, they're, they're righteous by virtue of melanin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. They're virtuous. They're righteous. They're, 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 they're uh, it's ethnocentric they're, they're, righteousness. It's ethnocentric it's eth- righteousness. It's ethnocentric righteousness. It's inherent ethnocentric, ethnocentric righteousness, righteousness by virtue of being created mm-hmm. the way they've yep. been. They even take credit for that. They even take credit for possessing the level of melanin that they have. And see what you're talking about, Omaha, about, about the scripture, uh, uh, be, uh, uh, just bearing your soul to yourself. That's what the scripture does. That's what the scripture does. Mm-hmm. You see, but what we have here was leave loud in this whole, uh, and we're going to delve into this later here in just a second. What we have here is a bunch of people who think that they don't need to be examined. Right. Right. I'm good to go because I'm good to go because I'm dark. Right. Right. Absolutely. That make that makes me good to go. That that at least make, now that that doesn't make me as righteous as Christ inherently, but at least makes me more righteous than you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and if you can't see the pharisaicalism inherent in that kind of thought process, I don't know. You're, you're exactly my you're point. Absolutely blind. Well, I completely agree with you when you said that the use of certain terms smack of social justice and liberation theology. Because as I listened to the to hashtag Leave Loud stories, uh, what they took great length to explain were stories familiar to church life, where sinful human beings in need of increasing sanctification interact with one another. They attempted to add uh, to these typical accounts language, the language of social justice, in order to infer that what they encountered was some form of systemic racism rather than merely human beings and typical sinfulness. One of the things that I thought was helpful, though, was an article that was actually written by Ali. I believe I'm saying her name right. It's A-L-L-Y. I believe it's Ali Hene, H-E-N-N-Y. She's the vice president of the witness BCC. She wrote an article that was titled five signs that you need to hashtag leave loud five signs that you need to hashtag leave loud. So let me give you what those are. Number one, she said is the Holy ghost says it's time to go. The Holy ghost says it's time to go. That's number one. Now I'm not, I'm not sure if this is an internal premonition, or something scripturally based. However, you, you, you simply know when the Holy Ghost says it's time to go, you will know. 
I see you laughing at me, man. I actually wasn't even trying to be funny with that. I'm just, I mean. <laughs> I know, man. <laughs> number number oh, two. Sorry. Number two. Number two. Here we are. Number two. There are promises, but no policy or strategy to confront racism. Number two. There are promises, but no policy nor strategy to confront racism. And here, Miss Miss Henney said the following, quote, if your church is not working towards smart goals, and by smart, she means strategic measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-based goals regarding race relations in your church, you should be concerned. And if they always have something, quote, in the works, end quote, but rarely, if ever, deliver, you should be concerned, especially if the plans involve limited input from a diversity of black and POC perspectives, people of color perspectives, end quote. Now, I want you to note what she says here. She wants smart goals that, that should be discussed and written. Furthermore, the plans should involve ample input from a diversity of black and people of color perspectives. Now, now that we've established that, I want you to see what she's written next. So, so initially, it's, it's, we, need, we need the plans. It needs to have it, not, not limited input. It needs to have abundant input from diversity of black and, and people of color perspectives. So here's what she says in the very next sentence, very next, very next paragraph. She says, quote, you should also be concerned if white leaders regularly call on black people to educate and shoulder the emotional labor of telling their stories to create teachable moments for white members without using those moments to create lasting change. Our stories and emotional labor are not commodities. We don't have to offer our pain in exchange for dignity and respect, end quote. So on the one hand, you need to be asked if you're a black person, on the one hand, you need to be asked for your input and your voice. However, if those discussions require any stories, you need to be concerned because they're asking you to explain what's actually going on so that you can be taught. So, I mean, this is this is a hot. It, it, this is this is you can't you can't, you win, can't bro. win, man. You can't win. You, you We said it. We said it a number of times. You can't satiate the woke. You, you just can't. You can't do it. it the, uh, the idea is amplified. Uh, by the next point, five reasons you know it's time to leave. So the next point that she makes is number three is you keep having the same conversations. So again, first first point, the Holy Ghost says it's time to go. Number two, there are problems, but no no policy or strategy to confront racism. Number three, you keep having to have the same conversations. That's number three. And here, Miss Henny explains that quote: a lot of our white siblings in Christ are just now learning how to treat us with respect. As frustrating and perplexing as that is, I believe giving people who are operating in good faith a chance to do right while remaining gracious as they stumble and fumble their way toward progress. End quote. Now, this is this is really crazy. If you find yourself. So if you find yourself, she says, having the same conversation with the same people day in, day out, week in, week out, month to month. Season in, season out, year in, year out, it's time to go. Don't waste another syllable on them, end quote. So that's, that's, her, that's her thing. You, you can't keep having the same conversations. Number four, number four is white people can be racist, but you can't talk about it. This is such a hodgepodge, mumble up, jumble up mess. Because in the one instance, you need to hear from black people. On the other instance, you don't need to hear from black people. And if you can tell the story, it's good. But if you can't tell the story, it's, this is, this is a nightmare. This is a recipe for disaster. Number five, can't win, you bro. can't win. Number five is that black people are leaving or not engaging at all. Black people are leaving or not engaging at all. Now, these were the five, these were the five uh, signs that you need to hashtag leave loud. I'll say more about those oh, later oh, on, oh. but that's what I've got for now. 
Hold on, bro. I need you to reread number one. Okay. Reread number one. I got something on that. Number one is that the Holy Ghost says it's time to go. Now, just just take number one. Just 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 meditate on that. I wish we had some Hammond B right about now. I wish we had some Hammond B. Wouldn't it make sense? Wouldn't it make sense, bro, if if number one were true? Right. Wouldn't you avoid two, three, four, and five? You would need the rest of them. You you wouldn't need the rest of them. If the Holy Spirit told if the whole well I said like she did. If the Holy Ghost tells you to go, then you don't need four. Why do you need two, two three, three, four, four and five? five? <laughs> Why are you disobeying the Holy Ghost? We got a whole other set of problems to talk about now, man. Because you're disobedient to the Holy Ghost. Right, right. If number one is if if number one is what you do, tell Holy Spirit. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We got to check number two, three, four, and five. Hold on, she, Holy Ghost. She, 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 she up here using the smart acrostic. She's not like a project man. Right, it's right, me. right. I'm, I'm, a, so, so, I'm gonna touch but, on but, that a little bit later. But I'm, I'm like, okay. To me, just take that logically. Yeah. If, if number one is a reality in your, like you said, if that's some internal premonition you mm-hmm. have, you could avoid two, three, four, and five by just obeying number one. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm like, huh? <laughs> I Listen, don't know what to say. You, you got anything else, bro? You, I, that's you, it. Okay. That's it, man. Listen. That's all I got, bro. Think, think about this, Omaha. Think, think about this seriously for a moment. Think about the level of arrogance, yes. the level of hubris, yes, the level of insolence that it takes to consider yourself so highly, to regard yourself so highly as to be convinced that you have the right. To be so critical of God's people as to exhort other believers to dissociate and distance themselves from them. Mm. I mean, think about that. I mean, who are you to be so prideful as that? I mean, perhaps we've forgotten that apart from God's grace and mercy, we are nothing. Mm -hmm. Nothing. We are dust. We are worthless. We are corrupt sinners deserving of not even the right to take a single breath or experience a single heartbeat. Yes. Apart from the mercy and grace of God, we're deserving of nothing but God's holy wrath against us for our sins. That's John three thirty six. Mm-hmm. Only by grace, only by the kindness of God's merciful will are we given the mental capacity even that it takes to conceive of such sinful pretentiousness as this? That's good. Yes. You ever think about it that yes. way? Yes. Think about it. If you're, if you're, if you're, if you're a leave louder and you're listening to me, think about this only by God's grace, only by the kindness of his merciful will. Are you even given the mental capacity that it takes to conceive of such sinful pretentiousness as what you're conceiving of right now with this whole leave loud thing? Mm -hmm. I mean, speaking of God's unmerited grace and mercy towards sinners like you and me, Omaha, the 17th century Puritan Ralph Venning put it this way in his book, the sinfulness of sin In the sinfulness of sin. Venning wrote this quote, Sin is so sinful, contrary and displeasing to God, and has made man so much God's enemy that it is a miracle that he should find his enemies and let them go away safely. God, who is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity, looks on the sin of men. His eyes so affect his heart as to grieve him. It tempts and provokes him to anger, 
wrath and hatred. And yet God keeps his anger, which is like burning coals in the bosom. Mm. He does not let out all his wrath and ease himself of his burden by avenging himself on his adversaries. But he woos and waits on sinners. Such is the power of his patience, the infiniteness of his mercy and compassion and the riches of his unsearchable grace. God sees sin. He is not ignorant. God is sensible of it and concerned for it grieves and vexes him. God is able to avenge himself when he pleases, yet he forbears and is patient. Wonder at it. Unquote. That was Ralph Venning from The Sinfulness of Sin. Now, when Ralph Venning talks about God's adversaries, he's talking about us. Right. right. He's talking about he's talking about us. We we are we are conceived as enemies of God. We are conceived as adversaries of God. But I think we forget that. We forget that sometimes. You know, Omaha, I don't know of a single church. I don't know of a single church in America or in the world at large that discriminates against its congregants on the basis of their ethnicity. And if that were a reality in any true gospel believing church, it would go without saying that that quote unchurch, that quote unquote church isn't truly a biblical church to begin with. Now, such behavior, even on the part of one church member, let alone an entire congregation, is a serious sin issue that should be dealt with swiftly and firmly. In accordance with what the word of God outlines for such situations in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5. Now, nevertheless, to suggest that simply because people within a local congregation do not recognize or celebrate who you are, either as an individual or as a particular group of individuals, is not biblical grounds to leave a local body of believers or to encourage others to leave. That a church, listen, that a church's choir, for example, doesn't sing the kind of songs you happen to like or set or doesn't set aside one Sunday a month to celebrate your ethnic culture or that a pastor doesn't use a bullhorn from the pulpit to speak out whenever a black person is a victim of police involved violence is not biblical grounds to leave a church. The reason it is important to leave a church on biblical grounds is because of what I said earlier. The church belongs to God. And as such, it is under his divine authority, not ours. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent half my life Omaha in churches whose congregations were predominantly white. I couldn't care less about the ethnic composition of a church's congregation. What mattered most to me and what should matter most to any professing believer is that the word of God is being rightly divided from the pulpit, that it is being rightly divided in its Sunday school classes, and that it is being rightly divided in its Bible studies and fellowship groups. That's 2 Timothy 2.15. You see, Omaha, when we realize and understand that the church is, is not about us and is not about our own personal glory, but is about God and his glory and that the church is a grace of God to his people. We don't worry about matters of aesthetics, such as our feelings and our sensitivities with regard to how highly or lowly others might esteem us because you and I aren't the reason the church exists in the first place. <laughs> right. There's a reason Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Jesus didn't say to Peter, you will build your church. In 1 Corinthians 12, 18, the apostle Paul says that God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose, not as we choose. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 18. 
To take issue with whom God has sovereignly chosen to place in his church is a heart issue that that person has and that needs to be dealt with between him or her and God. Now, I say that against the backdrop of this admonition from Hebrews 12.15. In Hebrews 12.15, the writer says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That's Hebrews 12.15. See, the Leave Loud movement is a movement rooted in bitterness and hostility. It is causing trouble in the church by creating divisiveness within the body of Christ. And those who are responsible for it should be called to repent. Yeah, absolutely. What you got wow. As, as I listen to the, the hashtag leave loud stories, it's, it's unclear if the issue with hashtag leave loud with the hashtag leave loud movement is their bitterness or the benefit they receive from the bitterness of others. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up. I need some hammer right here, yeah, bro. Yeah. I'm going to have to ask you to say that twice because that was so nice. <laughs> as, as, say that twice, yeah, Omaha. As, as I listen to the hashtag Leave Loud stories, it's unclear if the Man. issue with the hashtag Leave Loud movement is their bitterness or the benefit that they receive from the bitterness of others. Man, come on. It's here that I'm reminded of a quote from Booker T. Washington who said this, and you're familiar, very familiar with this quote. I actually heard it from you one of the first times we started doing our podcast. I was reminded of it from you one of the first times we did our podcast together. Booker T. Washington said this, quote, There is another class of colored people who make a business of keeping the troubles, the wrongs, and the hardships of the Negro race before the public. Having learned that they are able to make a living out of their troubles, they have grown into the settled habit of advertising their wrongs, partly because they want sympathy and partly because it pays. Some of these people do not want the Negro to lose his grievances because they do not want to lose their jobs, end quote. Man, let me just say, let me just mention here, uh, Omaha, in case our listeners may be wondering where that quote came from, that is from Booker T. Washington, Washington's book, titled My Larger Education, mm -hmm. My Larger Education by Booker T. Washington. So what you want to read uh, first from Booker T., if you're not familiar with him, read Up From Slavery first and then come right behind that and read My Larger Education. That's where that bomb dropping quote, <laughs> that mic drop from Booker T. Washington that uh, Obama just quoted from came from. And needless to say, Washington is absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. So, so. What what we what we know is that currently the grievance gospel, the grievance gospel is a multi-billion dollar enterprise. Recent reports state that Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Khan Kalours has been on a four year real estate buying spree. Some sources estimate that the total of those purchases is somewhere in the neighborhood of three point two million dollars and stretches real estate throughout the United States. As hundreds of millions of dollars pour into Black Lives, the Black Lives Matter organization from Fortune 500 corporations, Hawk Newsom, who is a leader within the Black Lives Matter Greater New York, uh, New York City, is actually calling for an independent investigation to find out how the global network spends its money. So here's what you have. You have so much money pouring in to Black Lives Matter, the organization from Fortune 500 companies, that one of their own, uh, Hawk Newsom. And again, he's a leader in the Black Lives Matter 
a greater New York City area. He's like, I, I, we need an independent investigation to find out how the money is being spent. Now, conti- continuing to follow the money in, in the, the, the grievance gospel, you, you, you have Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey. Now, he just gave $10 million to Boston University Center, to the Boston University's Center for Anti-Racist Research. And this is headed up by Ibram Kendi. So again, Jack Dorsey, co-founder of Twitter, $10 million check he writes to Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research, headed up by Ibram Kendi. Now, Jamar Tisby, he has a New York Times bestselling book called The Color of Compromise. And if estimates are correct, this book has sold more than 100,000 copies and counting. Now, recently, Jamar announced that he was going to work at Kendi's Center for Anti-Racist Research. So what Leave Loud is selling, what Leave Loud is selling is dissatisfied discontent masked as advocacy for racial justice. That's what's actually happening. Here's, a, here's another fundamental question that must be asked that, that's important. And, and my goal in that was simply to, to track the money. I think that's incredibly important to do. Yep. You've got mm-hmm. to track the money and what's actually happening. Now, here's, a, here's another, here's a, here's a secondary question that must be asked. If we do what they ask and hashtag leave loud, the question is, where are we going to hashtag go? Right? Where, 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 where are we going to hashtag go, bruh? Right? So, so you leave the church that you've been a part of all of your life because you got your feelings hurt. Now, where are you hashtag going to go? Right? What do you do next? Or is it sufficient for you to hold on to the bitterness for the carrot of a government-based solution that will be eventually provided by, by men like Tisby and Kendi? Is that what's really happening? Right? So, so here you are, you're out on an island holding on to your bitterness with the carrot of guys like, like, like Tisby and Kendi who head up this organization. They're going to come and tell you what the solution is that they're going to provide for you. At, at, and I'm certain that it won't be a free solution. Time will actually tell. Yeah. You know, Omaha, when you talk about solutions, you, you really, there's a, there's a context to that word that our listeners need to understand, especially as it relates to uh, leave loud and what Ibram X. Kendi is doing up at Boston university. And it ties back to what you were saying about how, and we tried to warn our listeners. We warned our listeners in our the two episodes that we did on Black Lives Matter. We told you that this, I use this, this exact quote, Black Lives Matters is the world, the biggest Ponzi scheme in world history. Right. That's what Black Lives Matter is. BLM is the biggest Ponzi scheme in world history. We tried to warn you guys in episode 102, go to justthinking.me. Hit the podcast link and then look for episode 102 titled Black Lives Matter. Because I say it with that sort of uh, uh, tone to it because we, 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 we titled it with a question mark uh, to bring your attention to uh, the fact that no matter doesn't mean the same to BLM as it does to you. OK, we tried to point people to that. We warned you. And yet we had evangelical leaders out here saying, yeah, we need to support Black Lives Matter. We just need to support. Well, you've been supporting them, all right, mm-hmm. to, the, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. Yes. Okay, so when we talk about solutions when it comes to, uh, quote, racism, unquote, trust me, they don't want solutions. We know that scripture has the solution to ethnic prejudice. 
But see, that solution doesn't get them paid. That's biblical solutions don't get you paid. Mm. They don't get you ACH transfers to your bank accounts. They don't get you $10 million checks from Jack Dorsey. They don't get you hundreds of millions of dollars funneled through BLM. And it's dozens of subsidiary organizations. So see, heart change doesn't pay. So when people like Kendi talk about solutions, understand this. They don't want solutions because if, if solutions were to become a reality, they'd be, be out, out of business. Job. They'd be out of a job. Okay. So please understand this, that the, uh, the, uh, when, 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 they, when, when, when people like them, like, like, uh, Kendi, uh, Patrice Colors, uh, and others talk about solutions to quote racism, unquote, they don't want solutions. Mm-mm. They cannot afford for ethnic hatred to be solved because it doesn't solutions don't pay. Resolutions don't pay. They don't pay off. I've said this dozens of times. Racism is big business. It's like you just alluded to Omaha. Mm-hmm. Racism is a multi, now a multi-billion dollar business. business. Yep. You people who are out here buying these books, you're buying the color of compromise. You're buying how to fight racism. You're buying white fragility. You're you're buying divided by faith. Mm-hmm. All you're doing is making these people rich. Has one heart been changed by the purchase of that book? Of any of those books? Not in a positive way. No. Not in a positive way. Not in a po- being a great point. Not in a positive way. Mm-mm. So people want to talk about, well, what's the solution? Well, what do you think the solution is? We ha- we've had the solution now for over 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. But see, that solution doesn't pay. You know, I'm on a blog article titled, When Should People Leave Their Church? Mm-hmm. John MacArthur said this, quote, he said, leaving a church is not something that should be done lightly. Too many people abandon churches for petty reasons. Disagreements over simple matters of preference are never a good reason to withdraw from a sound Bible-believing church. Christians are commanded to respect honor and obey those whom God has placed in positions of leadership in the church. That's Hebrews 13 verse seven and then verse 17. However, there are times when it becomes necessary to leave a church for the sake of one's own conscience or out of a duty to obey God rather than men. Such circumstances would include one. If heresy on some fundamental truth is being taught from the pulpit, that's Galatians 1, verses 7 through 9. So number one, MacArthur says, one, number one biblical reason to leave a church is if heresy on some fundamental truth is being taught from the pulpit. Number two, if the leaders of the church tolerate seriously errant doctrine from any who are giving teaching authority in the fellowship. That's Romans 16, verse 17. Thirdly, If the church is characterized by a wanton disregard for scripture, such as a refusal to discipline members who are sinning blatantly, as 1 Corinthians 5 verses 1 through 7. Fourth, if unholy living is tolerated in the church, 1 Corinthians 5 verses 9 through 11. Number six, if the church is seriously out of step with the biblical pattern for the church, 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 6 and 14. And lastly, if the church is marked by gross hypocrisy, giving lip service to biblical Christianity, but refusing to acknowledge its true power. 
That's Second Timothy verses three through five, unquote. That was John MacArthur from a blog article he wrote on the Grace to You website titled, When Should People Leave Their Church? Now, Notice that in all I just quoted from Dr. MacArthur, not uh, notice that not feeling celebrated or tolerated is not one of the reasons MacArthur gave (laughs) as being a biblical basis for leaving a church Mm -hmm. or for urging urging others to leave. And and as I reflect on the leave loud effort and those who are behind it, Omaha, I'm reminded of these words from the 19th century Scottish pastor Horatius Bonar, who in his book titled The Everlasting Righteousness, subtitled How Shall Man Be Right with God? Horatius Bernard said the following in the chapter titled The Holy Life of the Justified. Bernard said this, quote, we undergo many false changes which look like holiness, but which are not really so. The poison tree drops its leaves, yet remains the same. The sea of Sodom glistens in the sunshine with surpassing splendor, yet remains salty and bitter as before. Time changes us, yet does not make us holy. The decays of age change us, but do not break the power of evil. One lust expels another. Frailty succeeds to frailty. Error drives out error. One vanity palls, another comes freshly in its room. One evil habit is exchanged for a second, but our old man remains the same. The cross has not touched us. With this regenerating power. I want to repeat that sentence. The cross, Bernard says, the cross has not touched us with its generating power, regenerating power. The Holy Spirit has not purified the inner sources of our being and life, unquote. That was Horatius Bernard from his book, The Everlasting Righteousness. How shall man be right with God? Now, I like that quote from Bernard because it raises an important question that I want to pose to those who would support hashtag leave loud. And that question is this. Has the cross of Christ truly touched you? Mm. In the quote from Bernard that I just read, he talks about how our old man remains the same. One evil habit is, is exchanged for another evil habit. And he says the cross hasn't touched us with this regenerating power. So I want to ask you, has the cross of Christ truly touched you? Have you truly been purified by its regenerating power? If so, then why do you hate your fellow brethren so as to want to distance yourself from them? Mm. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, the apostle John writes this. He says, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That's first John chapter two, verses nine through 11. Listen, if you hate your fellow brethren so much as to want to distance yourself and others from them, And for no other reason than that they don't make you feel as important as you regard yourself to be. I consider the aforementioned questions that I asked to be perfectly fair and warranted. Has the cross of Christ truly touched you? Have you truly been purified by the regenerating power of the cross? What are you what are you going to do? What are you going to do, Mr. and Mrs. Leave Loud? What are you going to do if your effort fails to achieve the desired results, whatever those desired results may be? 
Are you going to start your own church or your own denomination so you can sinfully, like you said earlier, Omaha, where are they going to hashtag go? Are you going to go start your own church or your own denomination so you can sinfully discriminate against other believers by allowing into your church or denomination only the people that stroke your self-exalting ego? Is that what you're going to do? And speaking of pride, Omaha, I want to take a moment here and quote from an excellent book by Dr. Wayne Mack. Dr. Wayne Mack wrote a book titled Humility, the Forgotten Virtue. Mm. Humility, the Forgotten Virtue. In chapter three of that book, by Dr. Wayne Mack titled Portrait of Humility in Man, Dr. Mack, Dr. Mack points us to a man named Diotrephes from the third book of John, from the book of third John. And Dr. Mack writes this quote, third John provides an example of a person who was selfishly ambitious and seeking honor among people. In this passage, we learn that a man named Diotrephes was a leader in one of the early churches, perhaps an elder or pastor. The Apostle John wrote this of him, quote, I wrote something to the church by Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either. And he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. Mm. Beloved, do not, intem- in, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. That's 3 John verses 9 through 11. Now, one to be first, Dr. Matt continues here, one to be first and to be regarded most highly by the people in his church. This man refused to accept the inspired writing and teaching of the apostle John. Perhaps something that John had written contradicted this man's teaching to his local church. From what John wrote in his letter, we see that Diotrephes was responding to this problem by slandering John and the other apostles. When we slander other people, listen to this closely. When we slander other people, Dr. Mack writes, it is usually because of our pride. Putting others down makes us look better. But not only was this man slandering the apostles in order to make himself look better, he was also excommunicating people from the church for wrong reasons. His selfish ambition and his desire to run everyone else's lives led to serious abuse of his authority as an elder in the church. He was deciding with he was deciding with whom his congregation could and could not fellowship and cutting off those who did not listen to him, unquote. Now, that sounds like leave loud in third John to me. <laughs> when Dr. Wayne Mack is talking about Diotrephes' attitude, mm-hmm. that sounds a lot like uh, uh, leave loud. Mm-hmm. In the sermon titled Pride and Humility, Pride and Humility was preached by Charles Haddon Spurgeon on August 17th, 1856. Pride and Humility. Spurgeon said the following about the sin of pride. Listen closely to this, because as usual, Spurgeon, the Prince of Peaches, does not mince words. Quoting directly from Pride and Humility by, Dr., um, by uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, rather, from August 17th, 1856, quote, It, that is pride, is a brainless thing, as well as a groundless thing, for it brings no profit with it. There is no wisdom in a self-exaltation. Other vices have some excuse, for men seem to gain by them. Avarice, pleasure, lust have some plea, 
but the man who is proud sells his soul cheaply. Mm. He opens wide the floodgates of his heart to let men see how deep is the flood within his soul. Then suddenly it floweth out and all is gone and all is nothing for one puff of empty wind. One word of sweet applause. The soul is gone and not a drop is left in almost every other sin. We gather up the ashes when the fire is gone. But here, what is left? The covetous man hath his shining gold. But what hath the proud man? He has less than he would have had without his pride and is no gainer whatever. If thou, O man, desirest shame, be proud. A monarch has waded through slaughter to a throne and shut the gates of mercy on mankind to win a little glory. But when he has exalted himself and has been proud, worms have devoured him like Herod or have devoured his empire till it passed away and with it his pride and glory. Pride wins no crown, Spurgeon says. Men never honor it not even the menial slaves of earth for all men look down on the proud man and think him less than themselves. Mm. Unquote. That was Charles Haddon Spurgeon from his sermon, pride and humility from August 17th, 1856 thoughts on Omaha. I, man, there was so much that you laid out in that. And, and, and I'll start with, with, with the most recent and kind of take a stab at it going backwards. As you were reading that quote, Quote, man, I, I quickly pulled up James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5. Um, James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And 1 Peter 5, 5, mm-hmm. likewise, yes. you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace mm. To the humble, time and time again, man, we see that refrain uh, in the scripture, and uh, and and I think I mm-hmm. think what you what you just shared about that sermon, uh, the sermon quote from uh, Pride and Humility, is is just indicative of of that biblical truth. Now, I want to revisit something you said in, in the section earlier and amplify it with some examples. One of the things that I found missing in all of the hashtag Leave Loud podcasts and articles is what you just laid out in the first section. Uh, you mentioned the blog article by John MacArthur, by Dr. John MacArthur, mm-hmm. and you laid out reasons for leaving a church. Now, I want to remind mm-hmm. our listeners of what the writer from The Witness said were the five signs that you should hashtag leave loud. And I want to compare mm-hmm. them to what John MacArthur oh, man, wrote on. in his piece on, on when should people leave the church. Now, here were the, again the five signs from the writer of the, uh, on, on The Witness. She said, the Holy Ghost says it's time to go. Now, I want to add here briefly that there's no scriptural instruction to reference for knowing the difference between when the Holy Spirit is saying something or when a bad piece of pizza came back to haunt you that you ate the night before. <laughs> I just I just I just want to put that out there. There's not there's nothing scripturally that that allows you to know the difference. But let's let's keep it moving. Number two, that there are promises, but no policy nor strategy to confront racism. Now, remember, this included the need for the development of smart goals. Again, smart goals, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so, again, there's no scriptural reference for this. Nor do we have any early church example of smart goals to measure the level of anti-racist works 
that are needed to achieve, that needed to be achieved by racist violators. You don't have this anywhere in the scripture. Um, number three, you keep having the same conversations. Again, no scriptural reference here. Number four, white people can be racist, but you can't talk about it. No scriptural reference here. Number five, black people are leaving or not engaging at all. Those are the five signs that you need to know whether or not it's time to hashtag leave loud. Now let's contrast that with what, with what Dr. MacArthur said we should consider before leaving a church. Again, the blog article, if, if you don't remember, it was titled, "We When Should People Leave Their Church? He says this, quote, leaving a church is not something that should be done lightly. Too many people abandon churches for petty reasons. Disagreements over simple matters of preference are never a good reason to withdraw from a sound Bible-believing church. I want to stop there. That's like a mic drop to everything that is leave mm-hmm, loud, right mm-hmm. there, that alone, okay? Mm-hmm. So then he goes on to say, yep. Say Christians are commanded to respect, honor, and obey those whom God has placed in positions of leadership in the church. And then he quotes or cites a, a, a scripture verse, Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. However, there are times when it becomes necessary to leave a church for the sake of one's own conscience. He says this is out of a duty. Listen to what he, he expresses here. I, I want to slow down because I want you to hear what ahead, the bro. reason he expresses here is. He says this. You can do this for the sake of one's own conscience, but it must be attached to a duty to obey God rather than men. And the duty to obey God, mm-hmm. not, not to have your ego stroke, not because somebody didn't celebrate the full level of your melanin or your, I, I, I mean, I, go, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I want to go on and on. It, it said if heresy, then he goes on to cite examples. Examples are if heresy or some fundamental truth is being taught from the pulpit. He cites Galatians 1, 7 through 9. If leaders of the church tolerate seriously errant doctrine from, uh, from anyone, from any who are given teaching authority in fellowship, Romans 16, 7. Again, if the church is characterized by a wanton disregard, wanton disregard for scripture, such as a refusal to discipline members who are sinning blatantly. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 7. Let me pause here for a second. Because I could have a bit of respect, and, and, and this is a hat tip. Actually, actually, I want to help out Leave Loud. Uh, this, is, this is help for Leave Loud. I'm actually providing you a scriptural basis for what it is you claim you want to do, but it can't be based on these arbitrary ideas. It has to be something that mm-hmm. you can attach to scripture regarding sinful behavior and the manner in which uh, 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 church discipline was employed or, or not employed mm-hmm, right. to deal with these particular issues. Number four, if unholy living is tolerated in the church, first Corinthians five, nine, if the church is seriously out of step with the biblical pattern for the church, second Thessalonians three, six to 14. And if the church is marked by gross hypocrisy, giving lip service to biblical Christianity, but refusing to acknowledge its true power, second Timothy three, five. And so that, 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 that's, the, that's the end of the quote, okay? So in the same way that those who've been putting together hashtag movements have witnessed people leaving churches, I must say this, brother, in the last 18 months, I too have seen hundreds of people who have been struggling with their decision to leave their church. However, mm-hmm. of the hundreds yeah. of people struggling with the decision and the thousands upon thousands of emails that you and I both Daryl, have received regarding their pain. The issue has been for them the embrace of woke culture in their church. Come on, bro. Exactly. Come on, Vert. 
Now, this is quite the opposite Man. from what the hashtag movement is actually Indeed. presenting, yep. right? Churches around the country are actually rife with social justice, Black Lives Matter, critical race theory, and intersectionality, which have run rampant in churches across the country. I've received gut-wrenching letters from people in the pews, lay leaders, and elders in churches who have told me step by steps the plan that they that they painstakingly walked through in an effort to address these issues. Mm-hmm. Few of them are requiring uh, are requiring a set of smart goals for the purpose of racial reconciliation. These people desire scripture to be at the center of the teaching. They are experiencing Bible studies that include books like White Fragility, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and even Tisby's books. Books of the Bible are being abandoned for this new canon of social justice workbooks. Pastors are telling white mm-hmm. congregants to repent of their whiteness while ignoring growing the growing ethnic pride that is happening in the hearts of their black congregants. I've been on phone calls, emails, email exchanges, and text group messages. Bro, you and I have been on Zoom calls, on interviews, mm-hmm. and speaking events around the country where pastors are, are, mm-hmm. are dealing with these particular issues. These are sound biblical pastors where church leaders are trying to set a standard for scriptural sufficiency against this tidal wave of a false social gospel. And it's absolutely been unbelievable. So for those who are experiencing these brief experiential ideas back in their past, I'm talking about specific issues today of of people in the pews who are dealing with being subjugated on the basis of their of the lack of melanin in their skin who are saying this can't be happening and I've got to figure out what to do about it. Now, here we are. This is unbelievable to me. Now, here we are long after Trayvon Martin Long after Michael Brown, long after Mm -hmm. Trump's departure, long after a summer of destruction by marches of BLM, long after the election of an administration that actually promises to codify every aspect of CRT into the fabric of our country. This is long after Resolution 9, long after the entire denominations that have gone partially woke or fully woke, and now Jamar Tisby and witness claim that it's time to hashtag leave loud. You have got to be freaking kidding me with this nonsense. (laughs) Give me a freaking break. Somebody needs to go sit down somewhere and be quiet. This is a bunch of garbage. I was sick to my stomach at points listening to them self-congratulate one another for their courage in a climate that is doing nothing but applauding their, their ridiculousness. This has to stop, and they need to repent. Man, the you nailed it, bro. You killed it. You killed it on that one. That was straight up truth, bro. That's it. That was straight up truth. Straight up truth. You know, this whole Leave Loud movement reminds me of a tweet I sent a few days ago, Omaha, and to be exact, in case someone wants to go look it up, I sent it on Thursday, March 25th, 2021. March 25th, 2021, which was a Thursday. And in that tweet, I said this, quote, there are professing Christians today who prefer, who prefer an activist gospel to a gospel that quietly changes people's hearts, thinking naively that the former can somehow accomplish by force 
what the latter accomplishes by the power of God. Then I parenthetically mentioned first, first Thessalonians, rather first Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13. I said, there are professing Christians today who prefer an activist gospel to a gospel that quietly changes people's hearts, thinking naively that the former can somehow accomplish by force what the latter accomplishes by the power of God. And just as a point of reference, first Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13 reads this in the non-Armenian standard Bible translation. (laughs) First Thessalonians two, 13. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe, in you who believe. So it is in the context of 1 Thessalonians 2.13 that I said what I said in the aforementioned tweet. And the point I'm making here is that an activist gospel, this is what Leave Loud is basically uh, perpetrating. Mm-hmm. An activist gospel or an activist theology is inherently unbiblical. It's merely another form of works righteousness. What the person who subscribes to an activist theology needs to understand is that you don't need theology to achieve the objectives you hope to achieve through social or political activism. Mm-hmm. You don't need theology for that. You can do all of that without the gospel. You don't need Jesus or his gospel as a basis for any of that. All you need is your own subjective system of moralism to be engaged in activism. You don't need the gospel for that. You can protest without the gospel. You can advocate for social change and legislative change without the gospel. You can vote for or against certain issues and involve yourself in politics and not leverage the gospel at all. You don't need the gospel for any of that because the gospel is not activism. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message, not a movement. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message, not a movement. As our good friend, Dr. Dustin Binge said recently on Twitter, quote, Jesus rode into Jerusalem, not for revolution, but for redemption. Come on, man. Come on, man. That's good stuff. I'm going to repeat that. Absolutely. Dr. Binge said this. Jesus rode into Jerusalem, not for revolution, but for redemption. Mm -hmm. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not organizing or protesting, or demonstrating, or picketing, or legislating, or marching, or boycotting, or any of that. I mean, how many times, Omaha, have we said that the gospel works from the inside out, not from the outside in? You don't need the gospel if you're trying to change society from the outside in. I mean, if that's your theology, if your theology is an activist theology, you don't need Christianity. Mm -mm. Because any religion... Any quote unquote religion will do because then you're only talking about moralism. And every religion on the face of the earth has a moral component to it. You don't need the gospel to do any of that. Listen to what John MacArthur says in his book. Christ called to reform the church subtitled timeless demands from the Lord to his people. This is John MacArthur from Christ's call to reform the church quote. The will of God is not that we become so politicized that we turn our mission field into our enemy. Christians are right to repudiate sin 
and to declare without equivocation that sin is an offense to our holy God. That includes sins like abortion, homosexuality, sexual promiscuity, and any other sins that our corrupt culture says we must accept. But a culture sold out to sins such as those is not going to be turned around, much less won over by angry protests and partisan politics. It's futile to think the solution to our culture's moral bankruptcy is a legislative remedy. There is no law that can make fallen sinners righteous. See Galatians 2.21. Timothy ministered in a culture that was at least as bad as ours. Nothing in Paul's instructions to his young disciple suggested that Timothy should try to redeem the culture. Indeed, he told Timothy things would get even worse. That's 2 Timothy 3.13. What the people of this depraved world need is the gospel. They need to be told that their sins can be forgiven and that they can be set free from the chains of sin and this world's system, unquote. That was John MacArthur from his book, Christ's Call to Reform the Church. Now, contrast those words from John MacArthur with the following perspective of activist theology as presented by one Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. This is good. Dr. Espinoza, in her book, the title, interestingly, Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza's book is titled Activist Theology. For those of you who aren't familiar with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza, she is, according to her own website, a, quote, trans queer activist, Latinx scholar and public theologian, unquote. Now, as I read the following passage from Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza's book titled Activist Theology, please listen closely to what she says as it aligns perfectly with what the Leave Loud movement is all about. It aligns perfectly with what Leave Loud is advocating and how that perspective, how this perspective that you're going to hear me uh, quote from in just a second, how that perspective differs from what I quoted a moment ago from John MacArthur. Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza writes this in her book, Activist Theology, quote, Activist theology is a movement grounded in the politics of becoming that takes protest, revolution, and radical social change to be at the heart of what it means to follow the ways of Jesus, and it is also a theological commitment. Activist theology confesses that the yoke of empire, illustrated by and through the parasitic relationship of militarism, racism, and capitalism, has curated the public religion of white nationalism that is deployed through technologies of Christian supremacy and whose liturgy is a cultural violence, which is so often state sponsored. Activist theology is not an attempt to privilege a religious discourse or even establish a religion. Activist theology looks to the stories of Jesus as a means of confessing that resistance to power structures that dominate, oppress, and extinguish human flourishing is the theology and social practice, parenthetically ethics, that enact radical social change. The stories of Jesus that illustrate a way to be in this world support the politics of becoming that is a central organizing feature to the minoritized. 
Activist theology is a radical turn toward the depths of human flourishing Mm. that calls us into deeper contours of being human with one another and, in fact, can initiate a togetherness in community. Activist theology is rooted in the deep awakening to our inhumanity and is a critical turn toward the margins of the margins that are dehumanized by the strategies of empire. The stories of Jesus illustrate a way to be and become. The ways of Jesus illustrate the radical eminence of the subjectivity of becoming. The ways of Jesus enact social change. The ways of Jesus were never meant to be institutionalized. They were institutionalized as a result of power and control and the ways that post-Constantine Christianity, you can translate that white European Christianity, can only be understood as empire religion. Um, Dr. Henderson Espinosa closes with this. Finding an alternative requires a robust imagination invested in the generativity of theological activism so that we might see a new earth materialize as a result of our social practices, Mm. unquote. Mm. That was Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza from her book titled Activist Theology. That, my friends, is activist theology defined perfectly. Despite all the multisyllabic, um, you know, above the head of most people who heard me quote that in terms of what in the world is she saying? Mm-hmm. Now, if you were listening closely to it, just then, you heard terms like human flourishing deeper contours of being with one another, a way to be and to become the subjectivity of becoming enact social change. And then here's the big one that we might see a new earth materialize. That's what Dr. Henderson Espinosa says. Activist theology. The goal is to ultimately is to see a new earth materialize. All those phrases, words, and terms, are terms, phrases, and words that align precisely with what the Leave Loud movement is all about. Leave Loud is simply activist theology under the hashtag Leave Loud. What's your thoughts on that? Man, there, there's, there's a lot that, that's there. I, I would encourage our listeners, though it's a lengthy quote, uh, to go back uh, and get a pen and some paper and actually write this down. Uh, so that they can see it for themselves and begin to parse it out, because this is the this is the playbook, right? This is this is the handbook yep. of of activist theology. This is what it intends to do. So when you so once you have this definition in front of you, and you see it happening, you'll be able to go, oh, that's exactly what that is, because they are, and you could Bingo. you could literally tick off the marks and go, yep, 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 that's how they see it, that's how they view it, and the like. We've said it on this. On, on numerous episodes that social justice, that the social gospel has a, has a different uh, Christology, has a different harmardiology, mm-hmm. has a different soteriology. And, and you've, you've, Daryl, you've constantly emphasized 
the point that they have a different eschatological view of the future. Yes. And so that's exactly what we're talking about. They intend to bring in utopia and they're doing it uh, through the force of government. And and so again, I, I you know, yes. I, 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 I do want to point people back to the book that we've got this coming because it's going to, it's going to unpack how they're going to do that. What they're going to use and mm-hmm. leverage as power is government and government systems and structures in an effort to see uh, the utopia that they desire to see take place. Now, it's at this point, man, in the commentary that I think it's fitting to address uh, Jamar Tisby's embrace of Ibram Kendi's work at Boston University and the Center for Anti-Racist Research. Uh, The research center, Tisby's, or rather Kendi's research center, announced that Jamar Tisby is the assistant director of narrative and advocacy. Again, the assistant director of narrative and advocacy. This goes, this goes back to what you were talking about earlier mm-hmm. with regard to the importance of narrative. Uh, a, a director of narrative, I, I had to actually, it took me a minute, I had to go look up, what, is, what does a director of narrative actually do? And uh, as I began to kind of do the research, a director of narrative is often employed in video games or in screenplays, mm. right? This is, this is where you find mm-hmm. this particular position. Why? Because a director of narrative usually creates, through writing, a narrative of a world born from our imagination. Wow. And that's important to know. That's great information to know. Right? All of this points to the issue that you raised regarding activist theology. Now, on March 27th, there was a video of Ibram Kendi that resurfaced. I learned that it was a resurfacing mm-hmm. of the video. The video was actually shot during a Q&A given by Kendi at a Christian church in Manhattan. And during the Q&A, Kendi responded to a question that was asked by someone in the audience. Now, the audience member asked whether there was, quote, any role that churches or communities of faith can play in this anti-racist movement, end quote. So that was their question. And you and I, you and I, Daryl, have, have talked about this uh, on, uh, in fact, we, we got interviewed by our, by our good friend, Ali Stuckey, uh, and we talked about mm-hmm. this issue at greater length. And so I'm going to point you to that episode when it, when it comes out, when it airs. Uh, we talked about this at greater length. I'll, only, I'll do so only briefly here. But again, the audience member had asked, is there any role that churches or communities of faith can play in the anti-racist movement. Now, Kendi responded by saying, quote, Jesus was a revolutionary, and the job of the Christian is to revolutionize society. Kendi goes on to say that, quote, the job of the Christian is to liberate society from the powers on earth that are oppressing humanity, end quote. And he goes on in that talk to kind of give a, a contrast between two things, between liberation theology and savior theology. Right. He, he's, he mm-hmm. says this, quote, the form of Christianity that 80 percent of white evangelicals have uh, uh, those who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 was savior theology. So so mo- the vast majority mm-hmm. of white evangelicals, he's saying, subscribe to savior theology. Now, in a tweet mm-hmm. uh, that I found that was that was uh, that was uh, written around September of 2020, I- Ibram Kendi explained a little bit at greater depth than even he did in the Q&A what the difference is between savior theology and liberation theology, which goes back to what you were talking about, Daryl, which is activist theology. Right, exactly. And in the tweet, Kendi says this, quote, the white savior idea is literally 567 years old at least. 
It is so deeply held, so widespread, that no wonder there's such a visceral and angry reaction to my challenging that racist idea, my challenging the fallacy that a that the white savior is not racist. So what he's saying is he's challenged any anytime you bring up a white savior, that's racism. And so that and so he's he's shocked by people's response to his difference between savior theology and liberation theology. But here's here's the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem here is that ethnicity was not the issue between savior theology and liberation theology. That was not the issue mm-hmm. raised, but notice what he quickly mm-hmm. did. He 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 diffused, he he pointed you, he kind of he kind of pointed you into an a different direction. He didn't want, want to deal with savior theology and liberation theology. So what he said in an effort to confuse you was he brings up the issue of race. So all oh, it's racist to think about white Jesus in this mm-hmm. context. This is a common mm-hmm. tactic of Kendi. It's to diffuse right. what the actual issue is and so that you miss the point that is actually being made. Now, Kendi goes on to say this, quote, and the white savior idea informs what I call savior theology. So now he's established the fact that that white racism is wrong. He attaches that to savior theology. So you're you're you by default have got to believe now that if you hold to savior theology, you're a racist. That's how this that's how this stuff works. And you've got to you got to slow this stuff down. You got to parse this stuff out mm-hmm. in an effort to know what's actually happening. Kendi goes on to say that the job of Christianity is to save all uh, those backwards, savage, lowly human beings is wrongheaded. This is what he calls savior theology. So Christ saving souls is savior theology. That's white racist theology. That's how he's couched mm-hmm. it. And he's added to it that, that we're, that Christ is saving all of those backwards, savage, lowly humans. And so again, he's couching mm-hmm. that in language that, that will cause you to go, Oh yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the white man's empire, his, his, his empirical, uh, uh, a power grab of, of other countries. Yeah. All of that's wrong. So that, that's what he's, that's what he's, he's, he's positioned you to begin thinking. So here's what he does on the liberation theology. Liberation theology, it actually informs anti-racism. We are trying to save people from their own inferiority, or we are trying to liberate people from oppressive power and policy. In, in the Christianity that I know, he says, Kendi says, in the Christianity that I know, Jesus was a revolutionary, end quote. Now, Kendi goes on to say that he was informed by the liberation theology of men like James Cone, uh, Jeremiah Wright, Mm -hmm. and others. Now, if you listen to our show regularly, you know full well all about liberation theology and the activism that that it that it that it pu- that it pushes forward. And again, this goes back to the point that you were making earlier, Daryl, in mm-hmm. the tweet that you said about how some professing Christians they actually prefer mm-hmm. an activist gospel to a gospel that actually mm-hmm. changes hearts over time and transforms yep. uh, and sanctifies one's mind. That's that's what I got on that. Yeah, you know. Um, this this whole ethnic separatism, Omaha, or perhaps better, ethnic segregationism mm-hmm. of the Leave Loud movement is nothing new. No. It's nothing new. Right. It's Ecclesiastes all over again. Nothing new under the sun. In the book, Black Theology, Volume 1, authors James Cone and Gayrod Wilmore write these words, quote, White theology has not presented us, us being black people, 
with good theological reasons why we should not speak out against this gross perversion of the Christian faith. This is, let me just pause here and say, all this, all I'm doing right now, the quote that I'm reading right now from James Cone is just echoing Omaha exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly what you just said. White theology has not presented us with good theological reasons why we should not speak out against this gross perversion of the Christian faith. White theology has not been able to reshape the life of the white church so as to cleanse it of its racism mm-hmm. and to liberate it from the iron claws of the white racist establishment of this nation. White theology has presented the blacks that I'm quoting James Cone. <laughs> white theology has presented the blacks a religion of contentment in the state of life in which they find themselves. Such an interpretation of the Christian faith avoided questions about personal dignity. Where have we heard that before? Mm -hmm. We've heard that from Jamar Tisby. Mm -hmm. We've heard that from Leave Loud. Mm -hmm. Now we're hearing it from James Cone, who preceded Leave Loud by about 60 years. Such an interpretation of the Christian faith avoided question about personal dignity. Collective power. See, listen. This is, let me this pause is all. This is all regurgitated <clears throat> nonsense, man. This is up, dude. You going? You read in my mind. This is all regurgitated stuff. None of this is new. This is why earlier on, on a couple of occasions in this episode, I urged you, listener, to pay attention to these terms. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to these terms people are using today. It's the same stuff. This is James Cone from. Late 60s, we're talking about. Cone says the white church establishment presented to the to black people to the black people a religion. I'm sorry, let me go back a, a sentence earlier. Such an interpretation of the Christian faith avoided questions about personal dignity, collective power, freedom, equality, and self-determination. The white church establishment presented to the black people a religion carefully tailored to fit the purposes of the white oppressors, corrupted in language, interpretation, and application by the conscious and unconscious racism. Where have we heard those terms before? Right. Right? Right, Omaha? Unconscious racism of white Christians from the first plantation missionary down to Billy Graham. The white Christ of the white church establishment is the enemy of the black man. The teachings of this white Christ are used to justify wars, exploitation, segregation, discrimination, prejudice, and racism. The white Christ is the oppressor of the black man, and the black preacher and scholar were compelled to discover a Christ in his image of blackness, Cone writes. Because of white Christianity, Cone says, black people were forced. They were compelled to discover a Christ in their own image. What does that remind you of, Omaha? The point we mentioned at the very top of this episode. Mm-hmm. That the, the, the concern of uh, uh, Tisby and others would then leave loud. Their concern is not that they weren't appreciated and treated as equal image bearers of right. God, but as black image bearers of yep. God. Saying the exact same exact thing same that Cone thing. is saying yep. here. Yep. Cone continues, he, that is the black man, he was forced to look at the teachings of Jesus in the light of his own black experience. Okay, stamp, translate again, standpoint Christology, <laughs> standpoint ecclesi- ecclesiology. Cone says the black man was forced to look at the teachings of Jesus in the light of his own black experience. 
and discover what this black Jesus said about the realities of his own life, unquote. Again, that was James Cone from the book Black Theology, Volume 1, 1966 to 1979. That was the second edition that I just quoted from. Again, this ethnic segregation being proffered by Leave Loud is nothing new. It's James Coneism regurgitated. That's all this is. So in other words, same bus, different driver. Yep. Same bus, different driver. What you got on? I had, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but but just by by way of comparison, Cone was 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 a product of of his time, right? The Black Power movement, the Civil Rights era, yeah. right? Malcolm X had passed. He 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 came up in the vacuum of of Malcolm X and uh, and. Uh, uh, Martin Luther King. So he's got, you got the black power movement. You got the nation of Islam informing him. Mm-hmm. He's been informed as well by a lot of musicians and artists who are kind of coming of age, at least during that time as, 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 as the ideas around black power were starting to, starting to move forward again, he would, he would pick up I, ideas from Latin America and liberation theology in those areas of the world. At least he he was on the crux of something that was kind of culture was transforming. Yeah, we've yeah. we've got we've saying. got the folks who are a part of Leave Loud who are in the full throated embrace of wokeism. I mean, we're in a, we're in a we're yeah. in an environment where this wokeism is 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 on steroids everywhere we turn. But yet, and again, yep. that's that's why I kind of I I kind of got wound up a bit because I'm thinking, why are you all congratulating each other on some level of courage when when what you're what you're positing is something that all of culture applauds. I mean that that's not that's not right. that's not new. That's not different. What what we're right. what we're witnessing right. from our friends at the witness, no pun intended, is a late attempt to advance an anti civil rights movement, which is a, actually a pro. You you just said it. It's actually a pro segregationist movement. Right, right? Mm-hmm. during the civil rights movement, man, it's, it's, it's ethnic segregation. It's ethnic segregation. That's that's the only way you can look at this. Right. There's no other way for you to look at this. It's just reverse. Somebody may say, "Well, it's reverse racism." That that's no, that's, that's a non secular right. that, that whole term. Right. But but what these folks are doing is leveraging segregation under the guise of uh, discri- being discriminated against. Right. So they're 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 uh, they're uh, they're proselytizing. Another form of di- discrimination as a solution to being discriminated against. Right, right. Ra- racism to combat racism. Right, right. Uh, it, it, right. It was during the civil rights movement when men like Dr. Martin Luther King fought and died, advancing the cause of integration and equal acceptance in the spaces for both blacks and whites. What's happening in the culture is that woke blacks and their allies are fighting for segregation and for and for safe black spaces. In the name of expressing their quote full self or their full humanity, right? College campus, right. some some of the most are which are some of the most woke places in the country. Co- college campuses are allowing students everything from black spaces in common areas in the commons areas to black spaces in dormitories to separate black graduation ceremonies. Now, if you question or disagree, you're the racist. If you call it segregation, you're ignoring the historical narrative of slavery and Jim Crow, none mm-hmm. of which these people have, have mm-hmm. currently living have actually experienced. Uh, the, right. the claim is that 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 those that those situations has caused or produced trauma that's requiring these safe 
spaces that that that, mm. that they want to participate in. Now, as, as for your quote of uh, from Cone, from James Cone, you and I did an entire uh, you know rather that I did an entire talk comparing Conean theology mm-hmm. to to the theology of the Ku Klux Klan. Now, if you're interested in that talk, I gave it at the Sovereign Nations Great Awakening Conference, and you can find it on on YouTube. Sovereign Nations Great Awakening. In the talk, I discussed the difference between the current pro-segregationist movement and the civil rights movement of the 60s. One of the things that I, I made a comparator of is I said, listen, if you look at the civil rights movement, there were three things that they appealed to. The first was an appeal to the Judeo-Christian found, founding of the United States. And, they, and, and, they, and, and civil rights leaders did this through the quoting of the, uh, of the founding documents, the Constitution of the United States the Declaration of Independence. The second thing they did was Mm -hmm. they appealed to the equality of opportunity rather than the equity of outcome. Now, this is an an appeal heard in the language freedom, liberty, and justice for all. The third thing that they did Mm -hmm. was they appealed to the imago Dei in all of us. You can hear this in the language of equality for all people of every ethnicity, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants, Catholics. That You can hear that in that language, everyone being treated equally on the basis of the Imago Dei, that they are all human beings created in the image of God. I compared that to the modern day movement, the modern day social justice movement, which had the following three components. Number one, that American mm-hmm. culture at its founding was based in the sin of slavery. Number two, that all inequity is the result of systemic racism. And number three, that black lives matter, forget everybody else. That, that's, the, that's the basis of the current modern day mm-hmm. social justice movement. Here, I would say that Jamar Tisby and others who use the language of the Imago Dei, and we've talked about this, those who are currently, Tisby and others who are currently using the language, the Imago Dei, what they actually Mm -hmm. mean is not equality for all people. What they actually mean is special recognition of blackness, special recognition of blackness, Mm -hmm. and they want you to recognize Mm -hmm. their blackness in light of past sufferings. And this distinction right. is an incredibly important one for our listeners to remember. Excellent point there, Omaha. You know, in James chapter two, verses one through four, we read this. My brethren, this goes to your point, Omaha, just now about one to be recognized for their blackness as if, as if now. So now we have we, 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 we're recognizing ethnicity or what most people call race. Mm-hmm. We're recognizing race as a special class. Now they want to drill down a level further. And I want my black race recognized as a special class. Mm-hmm. So we, we now, now understand that or consider that in light of what the Apostle James write in James 2 verses 1 through 4. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly, man, this sounds like leave loud again. If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? That was James in uh, James chapter two, verses one through four. Now, that passage in James two is a perfect depiction of what leave loud is all about. All you have to do, go back to James chapter two, verses one through four and replace the phrase rich man with black man and replace poor man with white man. 
and see how that reads. And as I said earlier, it's the same bus, different driver, same train, different conductor, same airplane, different pilot. Now, before I turn it over to you, Omaha, for your thoughts on this, I want to quote from a book by Ian Murray. Ian Murray uh, from the book Evangelicalism Divided, subtitled A Record of Crucial Change in the Years 1950 to 2000. This is from Ian, Ian Murray's book Evangelicalism Divided. In the appendices of that book, Murray includes the following passage from Horatius Bonar titled Satan and the Gospel which I believe should be seriously considered by our listeners in light of what we've been discussing in this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast on activist theology. Bernard says this in the appendices of Ian Murray's book, Evangelicalism Divided, quote, let us mark how in the days of, in these days of ours, he, Satan, works and tempts and rages. He comes as an angel of light to mislead, yet pretending to lead, to blind yet pretending to open the eyes Mm. to obscure and bewilder yet professing to illuminate and guide. He approaches us with fair words upon his lips, liberality, progress, culture, freedom, expansion, elevation, science, literature, benevolence, nay, and religion too. He seeks to make his own out of all these to give the world as much of these as suits his purpose, as much as will make them content without God and without Christ and without the Holy Ghost. He sets himself against God and the things of God in every way. He can deny the gospel or he can dilute the gospel or he can obscure the gospel or he can neutralize the gospel just as suits his purpose or the person with whom he has to do. His object in regard to the gospel is to take out of it all that makes it glad tidings to the sinner. And oftentimes this modified or mutilated gospel, which looks so like the real, serves his end best. For it throws men off their guard, making them suppose that they have received Christ's gospel, even though they have not found in it the good news which it contains. He, that is Satan, rages against the true God, sometimes openly and coarsely, at other times calmly and politely, making men believe he is the friend of the truth, but an enemy to its perversion. Listen to this. Bernard closes with this. Progress, progress, progress is his watchword now, by means of which he hopes to allure men away from the old anchorages under the pretext of giving them wider, fuller, more genial teachings. Wow. Unquote. That was a mic drop, bro, from start to finish. Was that amazing or that what? That was a mic drop from start to finish, bro. That's Aradius Bonar from... A, uh, a writing of his titled Satan and the Gospel, as quoted in E.N.H. Murray's book, Evangelicalism Divided, a Record of Crucial Change in the Years 1950 to 2000. Now, along those same lines is what I just read from Bernard. In chapter 23 of the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, Screwtape, who in this book is Satan, said the following to his nephew, whose name was Wormwood. With regard to God, whom Screwtape refers to as the enemy. 
Okay, screw tape letters from C.S. Spurge- I'm sorry, C.S. Lewis. This is from chapter 23 of the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. Quote, please listen closely to this. Quote, no nation and few individuals are really brought into the enemy's camp by the historical study of the biography of Jesus simply as biography. Indeed, materials for a full biography have been withheld from men. The earliest converts were converted by a single historical fact, the resurrection, and a single theological doctrine, the redemption, operating on a sense of sin which they already had, and sin not against some new fancy dress law produced as a novelty by a, quote, great man, unquote, but against the old platitudinous universal moral law, which they had been taught by their nurses and mothers. The Gospels came later and were written not to make Christians, but to edify Christians already made. Did you guys catch that? Mm -hmm. Again, C.S. Lewis from from the Screwtape Letters, Chapter 23 Lewis says, Screwtape says, the quote, Gospels, unquote, came later and were written not to make Christians, but to edify Christians already made. The quote, historical Jesus, unquote, then, however dangerous he may seem to be to us at some particular point, is always to be encouraged. So what here, let me pause here. So what Screwtape is saying is it's okay uh, screw tape being Satan. Satan said, it's okay to go ahead and have them preach to Jesus as a historical figure. What we don't want them doing is preaching the Jesus of the gospel. Yes. That's what we don't want them doing. Screw tape continues about the general connection between Christianity and politics. Our, our position is more delicate. Certainly we do not want men to allow their Christianity to flow over into their political life. For the establishment of anything like a really just society would be a major disaster. On the other hand, we do what we do want and want very much to make men treat Christianity as a means. Don't miss this, folks. Screwtape is saying, no, we won't. We don't want Christianity, real gospel centered Christianity to flow off into people's political life. But what we do want them to see is, is we want them to see Christianity as a means. Screwtape continues, as a means, preferably, of course, as a means to their own advancement, but failing that as a means to anything, even to social justice. I'm still quoting from the Screwtape letters, folks. Chapter 23. The thing to do is to get a man at first to value social justice as a thing which the enemy demands. Remember, the enemy here in Screwtape is God. Okay. All right. The enemy here in screw tape is, is God. The thing to do is to get a man at first to value social social justice as a thing which the enemy demands and then work him on to the stage at which he values Christianity because it may produce social justice for the enemy will not be used as a convenience. Listen to this. Men or nations who think they can revive the faith in order to make a good society just as well may think that they can use the stairs of heaven as a shortcut to the nearest chemist shop. What C.S. Lewis is just saying there out of the words, out of the mouth of screw tape is exactly the point we're making here in activist, activist theology. Mm-hmm. What he's saying is, a, is in a different way here 
is that people, men are nations who think they can revive the faith in order to make a good society by activism. They may as well, or social justice in his case, in the case of screw tape letters, they, they might just as well think they can use the stairs of heaven as a shortcut to the nearest chemist shop. Continuing to quote from the screw tape letters. Fortunately, it is quite easy to coax humans around this little corner. Screw tape says. Only today I have found a passage in a Christian writer where he recommends his own version of Christianity on the ground that only such a faith can outlast the death of old cultures and the birth of new civilizations. Unquote. What, do you, what does that remind you of? It reminds you of the quote I read from Dr. Robin Henderson Espinosa, mm-hmm. where she said the ultimate goal of activist theology is to bring a new earth into fruition. The quote ends here. Screwtape says, let me go back one sentence. He says, only today I found a passage in a Christian writer where he recommends his own version of Christianity on the ground that only such a faith can outlast the death of old cultures and the birth of new civilizations. You see the little rift? Believe this, not because it is true, but for some other reason. That's the game, unquote. That's what Screwtape says. No, don't believe this because it's true. The goal is to get them to believe it for some other reason. That's the game, he says. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. Now, contained within the passage I just read from C.S. Lewis' Screwtape Letters is one particular statement that brings to light the fallacy of activist theology. It's where Screwtape again says, men or nations who think they can revive the faith in order to make a good society might just as well think they can use the stairs of heaven as a shortcut to the nearest chemist shop. You see, the fallacy of activist theology is that you can, as Screwtape said, make a good society by using Christianity as a means to a social justice end. Now think about it, Omaha. The very term activist theology is nonsensical on its face, Mm -hmm. not to mention the rationale behind it. I mean, my point is this, that if your theology needs to be augmented with any kind of social or political activism in order to be effectual in society or, or in the culture, then you need to find another theology. Right. Case in point is the following comment made by a recently elected senator from Georgia, an ardent proponent and advocate of black liberation theology, the Reverend uh, Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock, which he said in a tweet on Resurrection Sunday on April 4, 2021, but which has since been deleted by him. Uh, Warnock said this. He says, quote, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. Unquote. That's activist theology right there. Self-salvation through works. Self-salvation through works. Thoughts on this is this is important. That section was important. If you hung with us this long, this is a critical section to dissect, unpack and take a closer look at. I'll just quote from a couple of passages of scripture as I listen to you walk through that, that it reminded uh, me of. And this is this is the. The, the battle that has been waging from the beginning, and it's the battle for truth. It's the battle for truth. What yes, is, what is right. truth, right? At the end of the day, it made me think of John chapter 12, verses 33 through 38, which I'll quote from the elect standard version of the scripture. <laughs> it reads this way. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, and Jesus said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you? about me. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? 
your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom, this is important, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Mm -hmm. That's important. Mm -hmm. Then Pilate said to him, so, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says to him, what is truth? I would argue that those who, who hold this worldview uh, that, that, that engages in activist theology, their response mm-hmm. is the same response of Pilate's. It's what is truth. And they're leveraging mm-hmm. what they can for the mm-hmm. purpose of, of, prag- of pragmatism. The, the Christianity is a means uh, to the social mm-hmm. justice ends that they have in mind. Mm-hmm. And so those are the kinds of things you've got to think of. I- I'll quote one other verse and I'll turn it back over to you. It's the end of the story of, of Zacchaeus and it's picked up in Luke 19 verses 8 through 10. And it says this, and Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of all my goods I give to the poor. And I, if I've defrauded Anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, the, now the social justician will want to focus on giving money to the poor. And right. that is not the right. focus of what this, this particular text is about. What this text is about is who indeed holds salvation. And that is that Jesus, the son of Abraham, holds salvation and that the son of man has come for the purpose of not giving goods to the poor, but to seek and to save that which was lost. So both rich and poor are in need of Christ. Both are in need of Christ. So in order to read a revolutionary Jesus into scripture, you're going to have to wait for thousands of years for James Cone uh, or, or, or others like him to read backwards into Scripture uh, or into the text what has not been there for thousands of years. And this is this this idea of liberation theology, this idea of activist theology, is an absolute false gospel. That's all I have for that section, bro. You know, I appreciate you citing the uh, the, the passage with the uh, Zacchaeus account in there because people need to understand. I'm just going to sort of uh, recapitulate what you already said, Omaha. Notice Jesus said salvation has come to this house. He didn't say moralism has come to this right. house. He didn't say humanism has come to this house. He said salvation has come to this house. He didn't say doing good works has come to this house. He said salvation. The Christian does good works, yes. But the Christian does good works in keeping with repentance. Mm-hmm. Our good works follow repentance. Okay? So it's, it's a salvific issue. It is not, um, as, as we read from Screw Tape, to use Christianity as a means to a social justice end. Mm-hmm. You know, Omaha, given everything we talked about to this point in this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, I want to point our listeners to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Well, the Apostle Paul is exhorting the Philippian believers to pursue unity through humility with Christ as their example. In that passage, Paul writes this. He says, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, 
Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Now, does that sound like leave loud? <laughs> Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. Now that, dear listeners, is what the gospel calls you and me to do. The gospel of Christ is a gospel that calls us to self-denial, self-denying Christ-likeness, not self-exalting black-likeness or white-likeness. Look, the church of Jesus Christ does not exist for the sake of sociocultural orthodoxy or orthopraxy, mm. regardless of how anyone in a local church might perceive me or view me or treat me or behave toward me or, quote, celebrate or, quote, tolerate me. The words of Philippians 2 that I just read still apply to me. Who am I to complain about not being celebrated or tolerated for who I am when the one in whom I profess to believe was slapped in the face, beaten with fists, spat upon, beaten about the head, verbally humiliated and ridiculed, whipped, and all that was before he was ultimately nailed to a cross and bled to death for my sins. Who am I? The church is not about you. You know, in his book titled The Master's Plan for the Church, and in the chapter titled Marks of an Effective Church, John MacArthur succinctly lays out what the fundamental purpose and mission of the church is. MacArthur says this quote, this again, this is from The Master's Plan for the Church, quote, when a church sets its complete focus on God and does everything it can to honor him, it has a base for uncompromising integrity. It doesn't matter what makes the program go or the church unique or what theological distinctive is emphasized. What matters most is what God requires, unquote. John MacArthur from his book, The Master's Plan for the Church. Did you hear that, listeners? The church is to focus on God and what matters most to him, not what matters most to you or me. Now, those words from John MacArthur bring to my mind my favorite scripture text, Omaha, as it relates specifically to church, was what we call or refer to as a church growth strategy. That text is found in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, which reads like this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Yes. Acts 9.31. Now you want your church to grow and flourish? Well, there's your church growth strategy right there. Acts 9.31. Ground your church in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and God will ensure that it grows. To his glory, though, not yours. Listen, the, the church of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ is not the NAACP. Okay, we got professing Christians out here today, Omaha, acting as if the church is some kind of civil rights organization that exists to promote an ecclesiastical version of affirmative action. Right, right. They're demanding that predominantly white congregations do more to become more, quote, multi-ethnic, unquote. But what they actually mean by that, what they actually mean by multi-ethnic is that they want those congregations to be, become more multicolored. Mm -hmm. Yes. Meaning they want those congregations to become less white. 
in terms of the level of melanin possessed by the congregants and become more brown, red, yellow, and black. Mm-hmm. But as I've often said, Omaha, every true church is already multi-ethnic. Right. And it is multi-ethnic by God's doing. Listen, ethnicity is determined by one's blood, not by one's skin color. Yes. But many, t- many people today are ignorant about that, about that fact. They conflate terms like race and ethnicity, defining both of those terms in t- both of those in terms of skin color. But race is a social concept. Ethnicity is a biblical concept. So remember, when you hear someone say that the church should be more multi-ethnic, please understand that what they actually mean is more multicolored mm-hmm. and that that demand is made only of predominantly white evangelical churches. It is never a demand of evangelical churches whose congregations are predominantly black. That's right. Never. Never. Mm-hmm. You know, a few months ago, I made the statement that the church is not a silver, a few moments ago, rather, I made the statement that the church is not a civil rights organization. The church is not the NAACP, but that many Christians today treat it as if it is, as, as if it's, it actually is that. Right. Many Christians, they treat the church as if this is a civil rights organization. But, and it is against that reality that I want to share with our listeners a passage from the book, Civil Rights, subtitled Rhetoric or Reality, by economist and author Thomas Sowell. Because I think what Sowell has to say here is germane to the mindset that is largely represented by the individuals who are behind Leave Loud. Now, in the epilogue of the aforementioned book, uh, by Thomas Sowell, uh, Civil Rights, Rhetoric, or Reality. In the epilogue of that book titled The Degeneration of Racial, Racial Controversy, Sowell writes this, The Degeneration of Racial Controversy, quote, Intellectual and institutional inertia persist in calling racial and ethnic issues, quote, civil rights, unquote, issues, and often designing strategy, policy, and rhetoric as if they were. But the mindset and agenda of the past are no longer working. Like the blind men who each felt only one part of the elephant, many minority leaders mistake that for the whole elephant. Those who point out that other parts are quite different and that the whole elephant is quite different are seen as contradicting a tangible reality which has been seized upon and held fast for years. Many, For many, quote, discrimination, unquote, and quote, racism, unquote, are not partial truths, but whole truths. Not just things to oppose, but explanations to cling to. Now, let me pause here. What does this sound like, Omaha? This is, sounds like exactly the narratology that we're hearing throughout, uh, from people like Tisby, from people like uh, Ibram X. Kendi, from uh, uh, narratologists uh, who, who use their stories to uh, 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 not only oppose certain things, but to define truth. Mm-hmm. So everything is racist. Mm-hmm. Everything is right. This is exactly what Saul is saying here. He says, for many, discrimination and racism are not partial truths, but whole truths, not just things to oppose, but explanations to cling to, like a security blanket. Evidence that undermines the status of these old enemies also undermines the comforting vision that has grown up around them. People do not change their vision of the world the way they change their clothes or replace old light bulbs. But change they must if they mean to survive. No individual or group is going to capture all of reality in his vision. If the only reaction to other visions or uncomfortable evidence is blind mudslinging, which is exactly what you get, you're you're getting from folks behind Leave Loud, blind mudslinging, then the limitations that are common to all human beings become for them 
ideological prisons, mm-hmm. unquote. That was Thomas Sowell from his, his book, Civil Rights, uh, Reality or, Re- or Rhetoric. Now, ethnic segregationists within the church are exactly as Sowell described. They are captives of their own self-made ideological prison mm. because their stories explain everything, everything. And the sad thing is they're so blinded by their hatred of others that don't, they don't even realize they're imprisoned by their own ideology. They don't even realize it. They can't see it. Their hatred has totally blinded them of that reality. What you got on Wall? I just, you know, when I, when I think about the, the, the imagery that you kind of gave from, from Philippians chapter 2 of, of Christ and his, and his humility and, and, and what he left, that he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he, but he you know, in the, becomes a, in, the, in the form of a servant, he comes down and, and suffers on a cross on our behalf. And if we understand that, how can, how can we you know, demand our, our rights or our, you know, I just, I, 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 when, again, when you painted that picture, I just thought, wow, that's, that's how we need to be thought, thinking especially as it pertains to Christ's church, especially as it pertains to how yes. we approach right. his church. And so I, 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 the, the scripture that, that, I, that comes to mind in particular from this section uh, with regard to reconciliation for me is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And so I, I'll, I'll just read it again from my elect standard. So uh, let, me, let me take a minute and do that. It says, Therefore remember <laughs> that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that, that at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, and having no hope without God in the world. I, I'm, I'm going to stop here and say I can't think of a more wow. of a more desperate scenario, more desperate situation mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Th- than than being without hope and without God in the world. But now mm-hmm. in Christ, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Definitely not through social justice, not through not through smart goals, mm-hmm. not through racial reconciliation, mm-hmm. not through not through uh, intersectionality, not through critical race theory. You were brought you who have been far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace mm-hmm. verse 14, who has made mm-hmm. us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments and expressed in expressed in ordinances that he may create in himself one new man in the place of two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's key. Mm-hmm. And he came and yep. preached peace to you, those who were far off and, and peace to those who were near, both still needing peace preached to them, those who were far off and those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Here's your new, here's your new condition in Christ. You are no longer strangers and aliens, mm-hmm. but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Not for yourselves, not for your own ethnic uh, uh, centrality, not for your own ethnic importance, but for the purpose of being a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, again, I, I already know what, uh, what detractors, what, what 
liberation theologians will do with verses like this. They'll try to unpack it and say, well, you know, that's not exactly what was intended there. That, that, that was for a specific mm-hmm. time and place and for a specific people group. And it, it wasn't meant or intended for specific ethnicities and the divisions that were caught. I mean, it, there's a whole narrative. Listen, you'll have mm-hmm. to take that up with God who has, has written his word, uh, who, 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 who is the author of, of the word of God, who, uh, who, 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 who through Paul, uh, wrote the inerrant, uh, sufficient word of God, and, and, and that your issue is with him, definitely not with me. But it's crystal clear that we that reconciliation has taken place both with God uh, and our sins held against him uh, through the finished work of Christ on the cross and with one another through the sanctifying work of the Spirit that takes, that takes hold in the life of the believer. Yeah, 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 Omaha. But like I said earlier, bro, that that kind of reconciliation don't pay the bills, bro. You're exactly right. It it doesn't pay me, man. It doesn't get checks written. It doesn't get ACH transfers. It doesn't get wire transfers to my account. That's bro. right. You're right. You're right. It does. It doesn't pay me, bro. It doesn't get me paid. You know, as we prepare to close out this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, Omaha, I want to quote from the book. The Church of Christ, written by a 19th century Scottish theologian by the name of James Bannerman. The Church of Christ, please listen closely, okay, and tell me if you sincerely believe the activist theology of Lee Lao, the Leave Lao movement aligns with what James Bannerman is setting forth here before us here. Quoting theologian James Bannerman from his book, The Church of Christ, quote, The church is a divine institution owing its origin not to man, but to Christ and associated together, not in consequence of human arrangement, but by Christ's appointment. No doubt there is a foundation laid in the very nature of the religion which Christ came to promulgate for the union of his disciples in one body or society. The faith which each man holds for the salvation of his own soul is a faith which joins him to every other believer. Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. Bannerman says the union of Christ's disciples in one body and society was accomplished for the salvation of our souls and joins us to every other believer. The close and mysterious union, which is constituted by faith between him and his savior is a union that connects him through that savior with every other believer. Omaha, let me pause here. This is just another way of, of quoting the passage that you just read in Ephesians. This is just another way of saying that. The close and mysterious union which is constituted by faith between us and our Savior is a union that connects us through our Savior with every other believer. In becoming one with Christ, he becomes at the same time, in a certain sense, one with all who are Christ's. The spiritual fellowship that a believer enjoys with his Redeemer is not a solitary or a selfish joy, but one which he cannot possess alone or accept in common with other believers. It is the very nature, therefore, of the gospel to be not a solitary religion, but a social one. When Christ, through the mighty operation of his spirit, brings a sinner into reconciliation and communion with himself, he ushers him also into the fellowship and reconciliation and communion with all other Christians. 
When the work of grace is done upon the soul of a man and the barriers of separation between him and his savior are cast down and the sinner who was afar off is brought near to God, the very same work of grace removes the obstacles that hindered his union with other men. And in the fellowship of one faith and one Lord, he discovers a new and mightier bond of attachment and union with fellow believers. Were there no positive command or appointment, therefore, requiring Christians to unite together and to form on earth a society joined together by the profession of the same faith, the very nature of Christianity would force such a result. In the profession of it in common, men would find themselves insensibly drawn to other believing men with a power not to be resisted. And in the bonds of the same Savior and the same Spirit, they will feel and own a nearer tie to one another than that of kindred mm. and a holier relationship than one of blood. Unquote. That was James Bannerman from his book titled The Church of Christ. Now, did any of that from Bannerman sound like leave loud to you? Of course, of course not. It doesn't. I spoke earlier about the level of arrogance that it takes to boast about leaving a church and arguing that others do likewise Mm -hmm. solely on the basis of your own disgruntlement and discontentedness with how others within church may not be celebrating or tolerating you for who you are. And I want our listeners to consider that kind of vain self-importance in light of these words from Titus chapter three, verses one through seven which calls us to be mindful of who we once were before the grace of God mercifully shined down upon us so as to save us from God's wrath. Listen to this from Titus 3 verses 1 through 7. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration to all men. Now, all those are attitudes that are very, the very opposite attitude of activist theology. It says to, mind, to, to malign no one, be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration to all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That was Titus three verses one through seven. Now that was my exhortation. Okay. Titus three verses one through seven was my exhortation. Now here's a warning from that same book, that same epistle, same chapter in verses 10 through 11 of Titus three, reject a fact, a fractious man, reject a fractious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning being self-condemned. That's Titus 3, verses 10 through 11. You want to leave loud? That's how you do it. That's how you do it biblically. 
by distancing yourselves from fractious men and women who want to divide the body of Christ rather than be united within it. Mm. I want to close out Omaha with an exhortation from the Puritan theologian Stephen Charnock. Stephen Charnock is quoted in his book titled The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink, in which Charnock says this, quote, This is the prime way of honoring God. We do not so glorify God by elevated admirations or eloquent expressions or pompous services of him as when we aspire to a conversing with him with unstained spirits and live to him in living like him. Unquote. That was Stephen Charnock as quoted in the book, The Attributes of God by A.W. Pink. Charnock says, we honor God in no better way than when we aspire to a conversing with him with unstained spirits and to live to him in living like him. Over to you, bro. Yeah, man, let's let's, uh, close with prayer and then I'll have some final comments, man, especially based upon what you just quoted in... uh, from, from Charnock. I thought that was very, very powerful. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just give you thanks and praise for who you are, uh, for what you've done in our lives through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for the time that we've spent uh, examining the, the with, with crystal clarity the truth of your word. Uh, my prayer would be that you would use this time that we've spent uh, to edify the body of Christ and to unite those who you've called to your true Church, uh, our prayer would be that that those who are friends, perhaps brothers, uh, would hear this admonition, this challenge, uh, and, and think through uh, what was shared from a biblical point of view. Not to be fractious men, but be men who desire the unity uh, that your Son prayed for uh, concerning the body of Christ. We just ask, Lord God, that again you would use this to your glory in all things. We ask this in Christ's name, Amen. Man, it's with that 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 uh, we wrap up this edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. Let it not be said that we didn't take our time with this, uh, that that we didn't walk through it with every jot and tittle and uh, and and really try to unpack it. Uh, I really want to emphasize the point that this is about what we're seeing in the culture with activist theology, and the activist theology is represented currently uh, in the with with uh, with those who are part of the, the hashtag Leave Loud movement. I, truth be told, Daryl, I really think uh, this episode actually gives them a whole lot more uh, 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 cachet. No, I, I don't want to say cachet. I want to say I, I, it, it causes more people to be aware of what perhaps Leave Loud is doing than would otherwise yeah. know about their whole process Agreed. or program anyway. And so I don't want to amplify Leave Loud as much as I want to want to leverage what they're doing to say, whether it's Leave Loud today, whether it's some other movement tomorrow, whether it's some other individual the next day, this kind of thing. And that's why I appreciated the fact that when you and I talked about this, you wanted to title this episode Activist Theology, because it really represents the broader context of the issue that we really want to address right. with regard to this particular subject matter. And so I definitely want to say exactly. want to want to say that and put that put that out there and uh, feel great about what we've what we've demonstrated, uh, how we've gone after ideas rather than individuals. Uh, though though some who mm-hmm. hear this may not may not may not believe that uh, we unpack their ideas, their ideologies, uh, and and issues that are related to individuals. And so I'm 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 thankful, grateful 
that we took the time to do that. Anything in addition, man, that you want to add as I, as I wrap things up? Now, go ahead and wrap things up. And listen, I just want to say how just deeply appreciative we are of all of our listeners. You know, we have to remind our new listeners, especially that the Just Thinking podcast is an expositional podcast. Okay, well, this is what we do. We exposit issues. Okay, we exposit issues. Our, 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 our motto, our, our charter is that we apply biblical truth to the social, political, cultural and theological issues in our world. That, that's what that's what drives us on the Just Thinking podcast. We are an expositional podcast. So take as long as you need to to listen to this episode. Um, fine. That's the cool thing about a podcast is that you can listen to it as quickly uh, as in one episode or you can spread it out over weeks. If you have to, okay, you're, you're not, uh, 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 you're not limited in that regard, but we're the expositional podcast. Okay. So as Virgil alluded to earlier, we, 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 we take our time. We take our time, uh, discussing issues, uh, expositing the issue, expositing the issue through what the word of God says as expositors. That's who we are. So the just thinking podcast for that reason is not for everybody. This is we, and we know that we're cool with that. We're cool with that. We're, we're not. We're not shooting for numbers. We're not shooting for rankings. Any of that. What motivates us is truth. Okay. What motivates us is truth, and what drives us is uh, a desire to glorify God and equip His body, equip our equip our brethren with uh, intelligent, uh, articulate, expositional uh, ammunition, if you will, to uh, go out. And be defenders of the faith against these issues that are attacking the church of Christ and his gospel. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's good to be with you all. We definitely want to encourage you to go check out uh, the pre-sale of the book, uh, Just Thinking About the State. You can do that by going to justthinking.me forward slash the state. We want this book to go out like crazy. We want everybody to get their hands on it to be helpful. Uh, we want our, our folks at Founders to to have v. to reprint this. Absolutely. What's up, Doc? V, can I mention one, yeah, one yeah, thing yeah. that we didn't mention at the top yeah, of the episode yeah, yeah. about the book? Uh, again, the book is titled Just Thinking About the State. And understand that after each chapter in the book are Bible study questions. Mm-hmm. So this is not just a book. This is a Bible study. Mm-hmm. This is a Bible study. I think this is just one of the things that's going to make um, this book uh, distinct from a lot of other books that are out there in the market right now that may be touching on some of these issues. But uh, what we want you to understand is that uh, th- this, this, not a, this is not a discussion book. This is a Bible study uh, book. So at the end of each chapter, Virgil has written Bible study questions to sort of bring you into a deeper level of discussion, conversation, and more importantly, a, a, an understa- a deeper understanding of what scripture has to say about the topics and issues that are going to be addressed in that book. So again, understand that there are Bible questions, af- Bible study questions after each chap- chapter. Go out to justthinking.me forward slash the state and you'll be able to uh, get your pre-order of your not only your personal copy, but please encourage your church, your Sunday school class, your, your pastor, your elders, your deacons. Uh, to to buy copies in volume because this is going to be an amazing uh, Bible study small group tool. Trust me on that. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, walking through the podcast. Listen to it more than once. You're going to need to, especially with this episode. Thanks again for for joining us on this edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. <laughs>